What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your man at ringside, Scotty the Body. And I'm, I'm joined by my other commentator, the mouth of the North, Chris Phelps. How you doing, Chris? You <laughs> oh, all right? I should have had something ready then, Scott. Yes, I'm, I'm very well. <laughs> Thanks for my hat trick as well of wrestling appearances on your show. That's what, that's what I thought. I love, the, I love doing a, a trilogy. Is I don't know. I always like trilogies. So we seem to have covered, uh, I'd say, three three pretty solid um events now you know we've we've covered the uh the a wrestlemania we've covered a royal rumble and today we're going to be covering a summer slam so um yeah i'm 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 down for this we're covering summer slam 1992 so following royal rumble so we're sticking in that era so i'll jump straight to you chris what are your memories and thoughts then on uh Roy- summer slam 1992 in the UK. Well, actually, Scott, I have massive. You're probably like yourself. We're not far away in age, and I have massive memories of this. I was 13 years old when this was out. This was at like the absolute peak, I think, when in the UK, especially, the wrestling was massive. You can only see that when you watch mm. the show again, and they do a little five-minute segment before, don't they? You've got Vince McMahon and Bobby the Brain. As com- I love Vince McMahon as a co- as a commentator. I absolutely love him. Play-by-play guy. He's class. He do not get enough recognition for what he is, but they show all the kids going to Wembley, and Wembley's absolutely hammered. 80,000 there, and I remember wanting to go to this. I remember I think my dad actually paid for this. this was probably the only pay-per-view ever that we paid for because we couldn't miss this because it was on at a normal time in the UK. It was on at like 7 o'clock in the evening or 6 o'clock. It was outstanding. And, and But also, I think I mentioned this on the two shows we've done, it also had the match which ruined wrestling for me forever because my dad was watching it live yes. telling me about they were all buddies and they were all mates. And uh, we were, I was like, I mean, when I look back now, I think, you bastard to me, Dad. You know what I mean? I have to get him in a fucking chokehold <laughs> when I see him. He's 63 <laughs> now and had an heart attack. But even so, when I can get out of lockdown. Well, I don't know. If you, if you were to hold, I was going to say, if you, uh, if you were to give him a, a Roddy Piper um, choke, it'd, it'd probably be fine. <laughs> yeah, be you're right. Well, my dad actually <laughs> did jiu-jitsu and judo for years. So when we were kids, he, he always used to, uh, he used to have loads of fights trying to get out of all these moves, which I now know because I did jiu-jitsu. But at the time, I didn't have a clue what they were. And uh, yeah, he he probably could have took me in 92, definitely. But this is a great event, as I remember. But however, it ruined so many memories for me and so many years before of loving the wrestling that I I was like, oh, he's fucking right as well. But anyway, it was a great spectacle at the time. What about yourself, Scott? No, I'm the same. I I remember this being a bit of a sort of a, a playground talking point for quite a lot you know quite a few people this whole thing of uh, building up to it <clears throat> especially with the uh, you know british bulldog sort of headlining it uh, with bret hart um it being in wembley oh, yeah it was a big deal this was it was a really big deal um and i don't think i saw it live 
Uh, I don't I don't remember seeing it live, but I remember talking about it because it was around this time. I had like, all the trading cards and the sticker albums and all that kind of jazz. But I definitely, definitely had this on VHS. You know the sort of like the double VHS um, yep. box sets. And because um, <clears throat> one of the things that I remembered, and I, I've had to do, to check it, was um, there was a match I remembered, um, and it wasn't on when I watched the event on the WWE Network. I was like, oh, I've really got my memories are really wrong because <clears throat> I remembered the Bushwhackers being at this event. Um, you know, just being like, say, not a massive family, they just, they just stuck in my head. But uh, uh, it turns out they had three, I think it was three, dark matches that um, were made available in the UK on um, home release, but was never released as uh, part of the US home release. Um, so, yeah, it was weird. But, yeah, it was... it was uh, Watching it back, it's one of those sort of... like There's a lot of nostalgia. Um, <clears throat> just because like, even the SummerSlam logo... Like it just, it just sort of that's how I see the SummerSlam logo, um, and so I did. I enjoy it, but I, maybe not as much as I thought I should. If I'm going to be honest, yeah, I. I sorry, Scott, go on. Sorry. No, there's just no. There's just parts of this event that really start to drag. Yeah, there is. There's a few matches that. Uh, th- th- to be honest, one of the things I wanted to talk about, we don't want me sort of getting into it, was the first the first no, live match it. that we see on the pay-per-view is Money <clears> in <throat> v Legion of Doom. Now, this whole show mm. was put on its head because Legion of Doom was supposed to wrestle later in the card. But Hawk, I think I've, I'd said this uh, last time, Hawk went on a three-day bender when they got to London with a Hells Angels sect <laughs> and went off his face. He'd already failed a drugs test because I'd, I'd watched WrestleMania 8 and they had the title. And they didn't wrestle, but they were talking. And I couldn't work out what was going on. And what had happened was Hawk had failed a drugs test in between WrestleMania 8 and SummerSlam. And they had to... He had to lose the strap to Money Inc. Money Inc. then got beat by the Natural Disasters, who were the champions, and they were the faces, which I'll get into later. Mm. But because he was wasted, Animal wasn't sure he was going to turn up. And when they did arrive, and he was out of his face, he was he was he'd been on three day drinking drugs bender. He was notorious for it. When they came down to the ring on the motorbikes, you can actually see that when Paul Ellering comes down. You can see him like there's there's a load of like backroom staff on Hawk on his his uh, Harley Davidson, you know, as if they're trying to give him a push. But what I didn't realise, mm. you know, I've seen this loads of times, and I knew he was wasted and everything. You can clearly see it in the match. Some of the stuff he does is when he he parks the bike, he parks it in the wrong spot. So when Animal comes behind him to park his bike where he should have, Animal burnt all his leg on Hawk's fuselage. And it actually ended up with his whole tight uh, melted onto his, his leg. And he had to wrestle with this, um, like, basically third-degree burns. I never knew that until I researched it this time. But I was fully aware of, like, the Hawk with the bike incident, his performance, which is really suspect in the game. Because it's actually dangerous as well. Uh, and you know that better than yeah. anybody. But, yeah, that, that basically moved everything. So, like, Kamala v. The Undertaker, uh, Crush v. The Repo Man, they should have been, like, the opening matches. And they got pushed down the card because of this. That's I was gonna say because that's one of the weird things is like because you're starting with some big headliners so you're starting like you say with uh, Legion of Doom and Money Inc and it's like oh this is all right they're going they're going all out this is a good solid uh, this is a good solid opener and then like you say you start falling back on like 
Crush and uh, versus Reaper Man like halfway down the car, and I was I was thinking, why is why was Legion of Doom on uh, at this point? But that explains a lot. I mean, um, and also fair play like to, to to do the match with you know I mean it must have been in agony, um, third degree burns on his leg and stuff. So fair play to him for for doing that. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's not the most. It's not the most dynamic of matches, is it? Though? No, it, it, and to be honest, he he is Hawk isn't the only one on this card who was absolutely wasted, and the match was in, his match was in jeopardy. We'll get into that later, but I think you know <laughs> what I mean. But but genuinely, when you watch it, and Hawk had to take the beating because he had to be down, and obviously he's relying on IRS, a million dollar man, to call a match for him and tell him where to put his spots and that. But there was a couple of times where. If you remember, he picked up, I think it was Million Dollar Man in a gorilla press mm. and fell back. Oh, no, sorry, that was the Warrior giving the match. Sorry, Warrior did that with Match on Misty Spot, didn't he? But, but you can see with, with, with Hawk, he doesn't know where he's going in the match. You can clearly see. He's like looking around the ring as if to say, I haven't got a fucking clue what I'm doing here. He, he, he genuinely, and, and when my dad saying to me, he's talking to him. Now, it wasn't as apparent watching it this time as it was when I was a kid. Because I remember it was more Dibiase must have been had to sort yeah. of break character slightly. You can see him leaning into his ear and telling him what he's going to do. But I, I remember as a kid being, and whether they've edited it, I don't know. But I remember as a kid clearly seeing Hawk say slingshot into I don't know if it's a clothesline or a, a knee or something. And they may have cut that out. But when I watched it live, it absolutely ruined my childhood love for wrestling for quite a while. <laughs> I can see why, because it is. It breaks the mystery, doesn't it? It breaks that mystique um, that you sort of that, that wrestling sort of relied on at this point. But yeah, look, you're right though. There are several moments I noticed it. Now you've explained it like that. It, looking back on this match, it makes total sense that there are moments in this where the match it doesn't come to a stop. You know, it's not like it comes to an absolute stop. But there are moments where this match slows like noticeably. Um, and it's clear that they're sort of like they're they're almost waiting for them to go. Ah, that's the next spot, right? Move on. Um, and so yeah, it, it, you know, it makes total sense now. So it's it's a bit of a it's a it's a good match because I enjoy I love you know I love Dibiase um, and I love Legion of Doom, um, <clears throat> Money, uh, IRS, Erwin uh, Arshister. It was always a bit of an odd gimmick, especially associated with. Um, um, Million Dollar Man because it sort of became this for me even as sort of like maybe not so much as a kid but as I was older I was like isn't he a tax man why does the Million Dollar Man sort of like you know want to be associated with him and I, I like the fact that Bobby the Brain actually sort of calls it out in this match as part of his commentary he's like well he's got the money and then IRS knows where to hide the money and I was like oh no I like it now I've never thought that before but that that really sort of I, works. I was going to say that's um, how I always remember it. The IRS was getting backhanders yeah. to keep DiBiase out of jail, sort of thing. That was, that was the yeah, the gimmick, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's an interesting opener. Uh, knowing and knowing that sort of it starts to sort of, and you've said about others others in the, in the card, it starts to open up some of the uh, some of the issues with this uh, with this card. Um, but it's not a bad match. The next match, though. The the next match, it, it struggled to hold my attention. Which one was that? Then? Um, so the follow up of Legion of Doom and Money Inc is Nails oh versus Virgil. I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you on. That. I mean, Virgil is was always the only time he got any got 
any sort of coverage was that time when Roddy Piper helped him sort of really beat up DiBiase fine. Like his DiBiase had him like cleaning his feet and all that, all like these segments. I remember mm. it superstars watching it. And then and everyone was like, oh, Virgil's the way he's a boxer. But when they interview Virgil, Scott, before the match, and he's doing this pathetic, like pretending he was a street fight. I, I fought on the streets, me. And I'm thinking, you're getting squashed, mate. Yeah. Like, I remember yeah. Nails, especially because he come in after the mount he'd got beat by Bossman in 91. And I can't, I, one thing I didn't look at is why the Bossman wasn't here. He must have been injured. But he had this whole thing with Bossman, how he, like, you know, he was horrible to him. He was, a, he was this psycho prisoner. And I bought into it. However, the back. Well, I was going to say, because well, yeah, was, wasn't that the story that he that Nails had been in prison and that Bossman had been one of the guards and that's where their feud had come yes, from? Yes, it was. And he he, he was coming yeah. in. The, the, the actual build-up <laughs> segments were great. It showed him in like, jail, like, Bossman, I'm coming for you. And, and everyone was like... And I was like, <laughs> shit, scared of him. Oh, my God, who the fuck's this guy's going to do over the Bossman? And, and what was strange was the, the whole backstory with this Nails guy was um, he kicked off, but... There was a story, right? And I'm only quoting the story. It was in the news of the world, which I know is never was never the most reliable. He had a fight with Vince McMahon in the toilet, in the shower, sorry, right? And he said it was a yeah nails. nails. He said it was about his position in the company, and he got hold of Vince McMahon, and Vince McMahon had to get a load of wrestlers to sort of stand in the way of him, you know, to get him beat up. However, I clearly remember the story being that Vince McMahon may or may not allegedly have made a pass at Nails, and that's why he ended up with a smack in the mouth and got fired from the WWF at the time, Scott. So, uh, so I, 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 so I, I, I was curious, as like, who the hell is Nails? I had no memory of this. Like, I remembered Virgil, because I think because of that other segment you mentioned, like, I remember him being very closely linked with DiBiase and stuff. But Nails is like, I don't remember this at all. So I did some re- I did some research as well, and I found I say similar sort of like different stories. But one of the stories I saw was that Nails um, was expecting a bit more of a push, and so around so this what this was sort of like late August, wasn't it? SummerSlam. <clears throat> so apparently by October he was getting a, a, annoyed with his position, and after a show went backstage and basically um, balled out Vince McMahon and and sort of you know grabbed the like the. Uh, collar of his top, or his sort of like the governed by the scruff and that, and basically said like you know he deserved a push and that he deserved to be paid more and all this other stuff, and had a bit of a brawl, and then was fired after that. That seemed to be one of the consistent ones, but there were definitely like other stories. Um, but yeah, he it, 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 it just sort of disappears from like because he went to WCW after this, didn't he? And then, um, and then they dropped him as yeah, well. Yeah, he got so. sued by the WWF because he came in as the prisoner. So they sued him, basically in the same character, and it didn't help his case yeah. that he would never wrestle in the WWF because he testified against Vince McMahon in the steroid scandal, saying he was selling and, and getting somebody to come in and supply the drugs, which we'd mentioned, which is also why um, Hulk Hogan isn't on this event. It was the first ever pay-per-view since WrestleMania 1. He'd never missed a pay-per-view, and he was actually off this. They told him to take six months off, hence why... When he come back in 93, just for WrestleMania 9, he was about 40, 50 pounds lighter because he couldn't take any gear and that, which has been well documented. I'm not yeah, speculating. But... that That's genuine. No, no yeah. I think he's even spoken about it a little bit, and he sort of like, you know, alluded to it and stuff. But yeah, but this this match between Virgil and Nails, like, Virgil's not a bad wrestler. Like, you know, he's got some, you know, he's, he's athletic. He's, uh, you know, he sort of, uh, he, you know, he flies around the ring and stuff. But Nails is awful oh god he's terrible scots he's so robotic he's so right i mean 
I think Virgil does best he can, but you knew it was a squash match, yeah. didn't you, from the start, really? Yeah. Well, so that's the problem. I think one of the things is, like I say, with the match, is that one of the big problems is like you, you can sell a match and then it can, you know, like it's going to be a match and then it can become a squash. Like, you know, you know where you can sort of build up and you have a bit of back and forth and then you're sort of like, well, somewhat, you know, the bigger guy gets the hand and that's it. You know, that sort of... Uh, you know, don't let him don't let him get hold of you, or he'll squash you, sort of thing. I think you know, I've seen a few times they've done that thing. This doesn't do any of that. It's literally sort of like they're back and forth for about literally what two minutes, and then nails just sort of seems to just batter him, and it just get it's just so because it's not built up to anything. It doesn't seem to have a point. It's just you know, there's no story going into the match. The the match doesn't tell a story. The aftermath doesn't tell a story. It just it's just sort of there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, sorry, Scott. Sorry. No, you go on. That's that's what I'm saying. It's just it's just there as a match. It doesn't really serve any. No, purpose. it doesn't. And when the running time of it is just under four minutes. Now you're that. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to make his character look strong, aren't they? He takes down a mid carder. It gives a bit of a fight. It's the old, it's the old cliche with wrestling, especially Vince McMahon. I mean, he's, he must be six seven, six six nails. He's a big guy. You can clearly mm. see he's wearing the old Hulk Hogan two inch heel raises, like the old what Warrior used to wear. You know, yeah. you can see that in his outfit. But he's just not convincing. And when he's doing this, like grimacing, he's got this weird blonde sort of curtains hair. He's sort of hanging on for dear life with his hair cut, and it's like. You, he, did, he didn't look menacing. He looked like some... You could clearly see he just looked like a nice guy playing a bad guy. He just didn't... At the time, I was all yeah. in, Scott. I was like, oh, what a bastard. He's going to fucking do that to the boss man. The boss man's a man of justice and all this stuff. You know, like really buying into the gimmick. But when you watch it now, he's an absolutely awful wrestler. He's terrible worker. But even this match, like, you know, this kind of squash is... Unless it serves a purpose... You know, like a, an escalation or a payoff on a pay per view, it's pointless. This is the kind of thing they should have had on like a Saturday night main event. You know, like okay, we're going to build up the character, we're going to show you how tough he is, <clears throat> and then we can use it in flashbacks so that you know, Mean Gene or one of the others can go and here he was on Saturday night main event killing somebody else. How's he going to handle this person? Like, th- yeah, this match it just doesn't serve any purpose. So, like I say, it's only four minutes. It's not a big match, but it's yeah, it, it it's a sort of. I was wondering, I was like, why Why is this here? It feels like padding. And considering you've also had three dark matches before this, you are thinking, like, I'm pretty sure one of those dark matches would have been better than this. Yeah, I mean, you look at the first dark match, the Bushwhackers and Jim Duggan v the Mountie and the Nasty Boys. They're all good workers, them, Scott. That would have, I mean, yeah. I never liked to tonker against the Berserkers. The Tonkers bobbins. I hated that. Uh, that whole yeah. gimmick. He's wrestling in your 80 fights and it's fucking terrible. Papa Shango was rubbish. Uh, Tito Santana was at the end of his career. But the Bushwhackers and that would have been... But still not bad. But say Tito Santana, it might be the end of his career, but he was still a oh, good yeah. worker. Yeah, so, yeah you're right. Yeah. Sorry, Scott, you're right. He's better than Nails by a fucking mile. I was going to say he's better yeah, than this. Right, I'd, say, I'd stand <laughs> corrected. Sorry, you are correct. Because Papa Shango <laughs> could wrestle. Um, you know the, the Godfather yeah. would be a couple of years before, but no, I do agree. It's, it's very strange. However, the next match is is one of the, and I'm not trying to jump ahead, but too much. But it I is agree. one of the the first ever matches they did in, in WWF where we had two heels against each other. They'd never done that mm. before. They'd done Hogan Warrior and they'd done a couple of things, but they'd never had two heels going into a match against each other. This match. Right, so we're talking now Ricky Mart Ricky the model Martel, who again is another gimmick I loved. I think it's a great he does he does it great. 
it's a really entertaining gimmick. I love it. Versus Shawn Michaels. And this is sort of... And so these guys are like, it's the egos. It's like the perfect egos. And I loved the stipulation of this match because they're such good luck, so good looking. They'd stipulated that they wouldn't hit each other in the face. Yeah, because <laughs> Sherry said, I don't want you hurt. And you're too pretty, aren't you both here? You're both pretty in your own yeah. way. I don't want you hitting each other. <laughs> what a stipulation. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Because it forces them to do something different. And actually, I'd say, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> we'll get to the finish because um, the finish of this, to use one of your phrases, is bobbins. I, it wound me up somewhat rotten. Um, but the match itself, like the first, like in the first sort of main body of the match, these two workers are good. Like these are, you know, they're sort of um, probably sort of they're not, you know, they're mid mid weight sort of like lower. What's it called? Light heavyweight sort of size. But they can move and they can wrestle, and it's actually really fun to watch these two guys work. It is, at it. to be fair, you're right. I think obviously Shawn Michaels is six months into his first solo stint, um, you know, mm. when he had Sherry with him and sort of helping. But I'll be honest with you, Scott. Everybody loved Elizabeth, and I always thought she was pretty. WrestleMania Seven, she came in after the Warrior beat Macho, you know, the year before for the uh, title, and they got married at SummerSlam and all that. However. I don't know what it is, Scott, but 13-year-old Chris always wanted a bit of sensational sherry. I shouldn't, but it was just some <laughs> slutty, sluttyness about her that I think I always thought, you know what, I'd have a chance with her. Even at 13, which would have been illegal <laughs> in pretty much every state in America. I, I remember it was when she was with uh, the Warrior the year before the build-up, and at one point she was on her knees, like, talking to him, going like, oh, always, and she's, like, stroking his leg. I remember thinking... There was things stirring, Scott, that probably would just awaken him from 12-year-old Chris. As I say, sensational Sherry was your sort of sexual awakening. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't mind a bit of Kylie towards the late 80s, but, but true. when it came yeah. to wrestling, there was just something about her. And, and seeing her in this outfit now, and you're like, and probably the brain calls her fucking, he's like, is that Venus or Uranus? You know, because she's literally just got her arse out <laughs> watching the whole match. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a bizarre. Like, this is the thing with this match. Like, the match is solid. As I said the working is really good. I, I, I like watching Ricky Martel. I like watching Shawn Michaels. They're good workers, and sensational shows it. And the sort of the stipulation for the match is clearly just about her ego as well. Like, who who is she going to side with? Who's she going to pick? Because um, <clears throat> she's you know like she's had Ricky Martel has winked at her and she's responded. And so Shawn Michaels is sort of a little bit peeved and all this other stuff. Um. And so you got the back and forth, and they can't punch each other in the faces, so they do this and that. And then all of a sudden, for like the the match takes a really odd turn when she just sort of faints off the um, off the ring apron. I I I rewound it, and I was like, okay, I've missed something here. Like someone's hit her, or I've I've must have missed something. Nope, she just sort of faints, and then and then it becomes this sort of thing where they they start fighting over who's going to resuscitate her. Now. This the acting, the comedy acting in this is is full on panto because Sean Michael goes in and he's all like, "Oh my god, what do I do?" As if he's going to give a mouth to mouth. Ricky the model comes in, literally kicks him and pushes him out of the way, and then starts doing chest compressions <laughs> on her. <laughs> it's it's. I was baffled as to what was going on. I loved it. I, I loved it. I, I agree though. <laughs> the, the ending was a bit of a shame because. The match only lasted for eight minutes, but there were some good high spots. Yeah. Shawn Michaels was brilliant. The model was ace. I mean, I remember the year before, Scott, and this is like, say, when I was peak, really, really, but into it, was 
I don't remember, he had a match with Jake the Snake, and I can't remember if it was in Brother Love's parlour, or I don't know if he'd left then, or it was Paul Bearer's, like, you know, the, the place. And mm. he ended up poisoning Jake the Snake and fi- firing his perfume or aftershave into Jake the Snake's eye. And Jake the Snake wore, yes, remember, he, he wore remember contacts, yes. didn't he, as if he was blinding one eye, yes. which quickly got, um, you know, forgotten about. Forgotten. But I remember <laughs> buying into it going, oh my God, how's Jake going to do the DDT? And he was like doing the match like he was um, Van Damme in Bloodsport, you know, the old Frank Dukes where he can't see and everything. Then he DDT'd him. Yeah, I think he did yeah. a match where they had to have a mask on or something, so it was a fair fight or something like that but but yeah i, I always liked the, the model he was because he was in a tag team with a uh, remember jim powers um and and mm. jim powers was always a jobber he was a jobber in wwf and then in wcw he was exactly the same he, he had a great body on him great worker but he never had much charisma i think he was with paul romer at one point but i mean it was him and rick martell at one point and they were like so i think it was the pan am connection or something like that there was some weird american <laughs> name or something but yeah, he's a great worker, and his gimmick, his hair, his body. Uh, I always liked the model. I just, it was just one of them d- dick gimmicks that just worked. You just love to hate him. That, that's it, though, isn't it? He, he is, he's the kind of character I say you love to hate, and he's so good at it as well. Um, like he, you know, it's it's it's. Um, it just feels natural to him. Like I, 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 I assume he seems like a. I'm sure he's a nice guy in real life because he. But the fact is, he can pull this arrogance off, and he can just sort of do it with such cool, sort of character is is so fun to watch. Um, but yeah, no, and as I say, such a good worker. So this match, I mean, let's say some of the high spots and some of the sort of actual chain wrestling and stuff on it is really good. Um, and so yeah, but and the, all right, this thing that happens where Sherry faints. But it gets weirder because you're like, oh my god, she's fainted. I'm not sure why. They're sort of like debating over what to do. Then they start fighting up the, uh, fighting up the runway, to sort of over each other, and then she she looks up, like she's faking. And I was just like, oh, she's faking. I don't know why. Oh no, she's back down again. It was just such like this weird back and forth, uh, of what she's doing, and then they sort of then they end up fighting. Oh, they they end up fighting over who is going to carry her out. To the out to the back behind the curtains by nailing her like one of like Ricky Martel like takes out Shawn Michaels it with yeah. a chair takes out Shawn Michaels with a chair and literally like leathers her as well. <laughs> I was sort of like, what is going on? It was it was very bizarre. It ends. I'm so, we'll, <laughs> I want your opinion on this. It ends weirdly then with um, Ricky Martel coming out and throwing a bucket of water over her over Sherry as she's been carried by Shawn Michaels. Michaels then drops her and just runs after him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was really I was really confused. It, it, it was uh, supposed to be a believe to do with they were trying to break it it ran for nearly a year till summer well WrestleMania 9 was the end of Shawn Michaels and her's relationship. Um, by the October after this, I think Mike Gennetti had come back because he'd got banned and, and all that stuff and he was selling the injury mm. from, you know, having the glass in his face and stuff. And I think he, as Marty Gennetti went to sort of kick him, super kick him, I think he froze, Shawn Michaels froze sensational Sherry in front of him. So she takes the kick and he legs it sort of thing. But it, <laughs> it sold, it was to do with that. I think they put her with him to make him the singles competitor, but they realised that he didn't really need her. So they kept the gimmick going for probably yeah. longer than it needed to. He didn't need the valet with him because he was just good on his own, which he didn't. After that, he ended up with Diesel and all that sort of thing the next couple of years. But 
No, I agree. Weird, weird. And, and, and it's a shame because I actually think, other than the main event, this is probably as good for wrestling, for pure edgy seat believability. I love this match. I thought it was really, really good. Oh, it's amazing. It is. It's great. Um, it it lends into something there that I found. So when we watched Raw Rumble, um, Raw Rumble '92, there was a couple of countouts, weren't there? In that, I think Taker's match ends in a countout in that one. No, um, wasn't Taker because he was in the Rumble. There was a couple of matches that ended in a countout, and in this period, countouts seem to be like a legit finish. Because this ends in a double countout, like the the match ends because they basically take the fight outside and then run off, and that that's just sort of it. Um, and there's a couple of other countouts, and I was just like, this this weird these weird finishes at a pay per view just feel unsatisfying. But you're right about the match. This is one of the it is a really solid um, a really solid match on this card. Um, and I actually enjoyed the wrestling. It, it really yeah, did. I did. Very good. They're both very good wrestlers, though, aren't they? You see, technically. Yeah. outstanding the, yeah. the athleticism as well with, with i mean i think i know sean comes into his own through the 90s but at this point he was still a tag team wrestler he still had that athleticism properly in his game he didn't just slow it down like he did where he only used, he was clever as he got older he used the high spots when he needed him you know what i mean so i, I love mm-hmm. it i agree too good really good solid match um what do you think about the next one the next one then again we're slowing down sort of thing it was the natural disasters um, uh, versus the Beverly Brothers, um, and obviously the natural disasters go over. Um, I think as you, you sort of mentioned, so uh, when we when we did Rumble '92, in that they are the heels. You know, they're, they're in there as heels. Uh, there's a whole thing there. You have got them being all shouty, and and they've got is it was it Jimmy Hart's yep. with them. Um, so you've got all that going on, and then in this, they're all smiles and their faces, and it's sort of like, well, that's a that's a turnaround. Yeah, it's funny because WrestleMania 8, which obviously came in the April of this year after the Royal Rumble we reviewed, they were faces then and they lost by count-out again to, to uh, Money Inc. They lost to <laughs> DBOC and IRS by count-out, which is ridiculous. They just picked the belts up and fucked off out the ring. But um, what was interesting with this, Scott, I, I will say that I know the Warrior and Savage got great pops and stuff, but when they won this match, Natural Disasters, I thought the pop was just below the British Bulldogs pop later on. The crowd were going absolutely mental. I don't know if it's because the momentum of the show was growing and the, and the quality was going and people were getting more excited because maybe the Warrior was coming in because he was massive, the Warrior, at this point. Um, mm. I don't know, but but it, it the, the pop at the end when they won, and the Beverly Brothers were never going to win this. I don't even know why. They were always just a mid-card <laughs> tag team. They were never good enough. It should have been maybe the natural disasters against the Nasty Boys, because the Nasty Boys had Jimmy Hart, who was their ex-manager. That would have made more sense as a feud to get the Nasty Boys going back up. I know Brian Nobbs had been stabbed and stuff earlier in the year, but... Well, you even have that. Even Weirdly, even the pay-per-view seems to call that out, because there's a, there's a sort of a back sort of stage uh, interview with the Nasty Boys where they're sort of going off at one, and Jimmy Hart's like, yeah, I'm going to get you, uh, you know, your... Uh, number one contendership. You're gonna get your your shot. You're gonna get your shot, and they're all like, "Yeah!" And it's even like even they're going like, "Yeah, why? Why aren't we doing yeah. this? <laughs> We're more popular than the Beverly Brothers." Yeah, it's it, it almost calls itself in a, in a weird meta way. The pay per view seems to call itself out as to why are we watching this match? Yes, yeah, it does. I, 
And again, it's difficult because nobody can pick the natural disasters up. Even the Legion of Doom, were, they had the strength and, and the actual charisma of an ultimate warrior, a Hulk Hogan, who could pick Earthquake mm. up and Typhoon. They could do that. They could sell that properly. They could probably, I mean, the biggest feat would have been, I think Typhoon's probably lighter than Earthquake, was to, for Legion of Doom to do the Doomsday device, their move on him. You know, the actual clothesline yeah. off the top rope and that. But... I don't know whether Animal could have got him up. I'm not sure. He was a he was a monster in the gym, but whether he could he could actually squat him, I'm not sure. But again, they they were an interesting natural, and they didn't last much longer after this. To be honest, I don't think they hung around. I know Earthquake ended up in WCW, didn't he? Uh, not much, a year or so later, mm. but because he I remember him attacking Hogan and stuff in a cage and that. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd, he was a. It was what you expected. They basically squashed the Beverly Brothers. At one point, Typhoon got a bit of a kick in. But every time they come in, and when Earthquake did his move, I've never seen a crowd pop for the Earthquake's uh, move where he just sits on him. Yeah, I, I love that move as well, though, because it's, it's, it's not the cleanest of finishes, but it's fun. It's one of those sort of, like, it's one of those sort of finishes that you wouldn't get now, you know, Um and you can you could get away with I think to like the, even here it's like the tail end of the time when you could get away with a finish where basically a, a, a really big guy does sort of like runs the ropes and then sits on someone. Yeah, it's true because because if you, if you think as well, I'm not sure whether it's the end of this year. I think it is, but Yokozuna came in. He was bigger than the earthquake. Mm. I remember him having a fight against the earthquake and burying the earthquake. Absolutely coming in with Mr. Fuji, just doing the old bonsai and, you know, he used to run. I mean, the ironic thing is they made him as Japanese. He was bloody related to The Rock. What are you, he was, what, he was Samoan and stuff. Yeah, he's, <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah. he's from Hawaii, Samoan and stuff. But, but yeah, I remember him burying <laughs> Earthquake. <laughs> bit, the thing is, let's say, let's be, let's be clear because we're going to be talking about it. If you look slightly, your, you know, slightly foreign, they'll find you somewhere to yeah. come from. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> without even... I remember a few years ago, do you remember there was the guy from supposed to be from Iraq and he had like a, a turban... He had a... Not a turban. I, I apologise. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, a turban. Yeah. But he had like a... Um, like the Asian sort of desert hat on with the, with the rope and everything. And yes. he, he ended up going against Eugene, which was a terrible character. That Nick right. um, dingy, yeah. Bullwinkle, was it? it was It was an awful when you look at it now because he was basically playing an autistic wrestler, wasn't he? He was a, he was a great mm. wrestler. And um, Hogan came back and and apparently like I say and apparently like a legit oh, badass yeah. as well like in real life like a real sort of proper like, tough yeah. guy wasn't he? he was a, he was a, he was almost yeah, at yeah. Kurt angle levels of wrestling he was really really good and he had the Eugene I remember Hogan coming back at like I think it was WrestleMania twenty one because I think I think Hogan got inducted in twenty or something like that uh, or twenty one twenty two whichever it was um, and he came back and he levers this guy and he's and they were speaking in like. Um, you know, Arabic thingy. The guy was fucking Italian. You know what I mean? Vincent Mann yeah. just, and he's he's, yeah. he's like some well-respected personal fitness trainer now in the fitness world. He's massive, the, the guy. But it was like he just sold him as he was some Arab, and it was terrible. That's like them sort of gimmicks. You can't get away with that sort of shit now. Proper like it, bordering on racism, really. I don't think it's bordering on it. I think it is. I think Vince is renowned for Vince is renowned for being incredibly racist. Like I don't think he intends it. Like it's never meant in malice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not like um, 
he's just he's just ignorant of it, isn't he? He just has no sort of like perception of how some of the gimmicks he does come across. I mean, when we get onto Kamala, I am going to go <laughs> mental. I tell you, cause... I'm waiting for this, Scott. You told me, <laughs> Jesus. I I was I was, I, mess- I was sat there watching. I was like, I got a message, Chris. I'm gobsmacked. I'd forgotten how about this. Um. So yeah, so we go back. Yeah, the natural disasters for the Beverly Brothers, like the fact that we've gone off on this tangent, sort of tells you about what this match is. It's again, it's a fine match. It's not bad. I think the natural disasters, are, they're very, they are over. You know what I mean? They are really over with the crowd. Oh god, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and for the for the big guys, I think they really do. They're actually not bad workers. I think you know they've got they've got a level of charisma and stuff that I think goes with that that they, they they're able to get over in such a way. So. It's not terrible, but it's definitely a sort of forgettable match. Yeah, big time forgettable. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What about the next one, Scott? (laughs) Oh, my God. This is where I was like... To be fair, this is the fifth match on the card. And by this point, I have to admit, I was watching and thinking, I I remember this card. I remember this event being a lot better. (laughs) Um, Crush versus Repo Man. Um, now I never liked the Repo Man. I always thought it was a terrible gimmick. I always hated him. I thought I, you know, every time he came on, it was one of those. I was like, "Ugh, I'm done. I'm not watching this." Um, you know, and then Crush, who weirdly, and you're gonna have to tell me about this because I was sort of I didn't do much research on this, but I was watching it, and the thing that got me confused is, you know, when they have the sort of the images pop up, you know, so it's sort of like next match is gonna be Crush versus the Repo Man. The picture of Crush that they have is like a bulky sort of like brunette, you know, with sort of like a, a controlled mullet. The guy that comes out, clearly the same bloke, but with a completely different haircut and look. And I was just like, yeah, um, I'm, I'm again like this feels like either they're going to give this guy a push or this is a jobber match. Uh, <laughs> and I'm still not entirely well, I'll sure. Set a, I'll set a few placemats on this one then, Scott. So a year earlier, yeah. Crush and the repo man with a demolition. So obviously the repo man was smashed at the demolition. Barry, um, I always get his bloody name wrong, but um, basically they were the tag team because obviously Axe was was always injured at this point. He was a lot older. So mm-hmm. they, was, they were a tag team. Repo man went away around about 91. He lost a lot of weight because he's in good shape in because um, the repo man was actually, I think I said this before on, on, on doing this show, was... Uh, he was a doorman with Legion of Doom. That's how they got found. Mm. It was Rick Rude, the Demolition, and Legion of Doom. They all sort of lived together. Rick Rude was some an absolute classic, top class um, uh, arm wrestler. And Barry Darso, that's his name. He was he was Smash, and he was also Repo Man. I I am the opposite actually because when the Repo Man came out. We used to have Royal Rumbles at my best mate's house, so his mum and dad used to go out on a Friday. <laughs> and it was me, my best mate, uh, Burnsy, and he was our Adam, my brother. And Adam was 18 months younger than me. And so I was 13, our Adam was about 11, 12. Uh, Burnsy was just slightly older than me. So he, he would have been, I would have been 12 when this was, and he was about 13, he was six months older than me. So so we used to do it where we'd like come into the house. So I was always Ultimate Warrior or Hulk Hogan. My brother was always, our Adam was always like the Hitman or uh, someone along them lines. And my mate Burnsy loved the Repo Man. And he, this is God's only truth, Scott. So he lived about a quarter of a mile away from my house. So I lived 
all my life near Manchester United's ground, near the Lancashire Cricket's ground in Old Trafford, like Furswood, where we live. And he used to come over and we were well into skateboards because we were back to the future. I love skateboards. He did. My mate he could never ride a skateboard, but he used to go on his knee, you know, like the old knee thing. And I love skateboards and he did. And he used to come across what's called the Quadrant near my old house where I lived all my life. And he used to come across them. He'd ring me and go, I'm coming now. Just look out your window. And he'd do the repo, man, across this fucking circle <laughs> when it was packed and hammered <laughs> with his skateboard under his arm. Doing the, and he'd be like, repo, man. And he'd do it. And then we'd be out somewhere. And he'd be doing the repo, man, in like fucking shops when we go bowling. He absolutely loved My mate fucking hates wrestling now. But because we grew up at that age of love, everyone loved it. Mm. Like, I remember UK Rampage in 19... 19- 91 or 92 it could have been um which was like the big thing and that, i think it was 91 uk rampage and then 92 we had the summer slam but when repo he loved him and my dad even my dad i think used to go fucking repo man because it showed him like stealing cars from people and stuff and doing the deception yeah. and stuff so we bought into it however he was an absolute mid card at best and crushed they repackaged crushed because of what was happening with Hogan because he had, he was the same build he was muscly and I never forget he saying he was from Kona Hawaii and he used to do this thing where he'd do the Hawaii sign I'm doing it now I say I know you can't see me but he's doing it and he the thumb and, yeah, the the thumb he, and middle finger. Uh, th- no, he used to finger. go, Shaka, yeah, yeah. bruv, Shaka. And I'm like, you're never from Hawaii, mate. <laughs> and, and he ended up just being <laughs> a jobber. And then I think, I mean, he's died now, Crush. He, he died, um, I think it was early 2000s, late 90s. Um, but he actually ended up in WCW. So he ended up part, I think it's the NWO, and then he ended up part of a biker gang as well in WCW as well. But he was never more than a mid-carder at best. However, he was a big big guy do you know what i mean he, he was a big guy oh he's huge uh, but yeah, yeah that, that's yeah that's my, i mean i'm sure these people out there probably know more than me but but as a spectacle he was always just one of them crappy mid-carders that you you just like all oh, right yeah he's crushed just a waste of a bit of time but um 2007 he died sorry brian adams was his name when he went in wcw uh, uh, you know uh, you know sad that he died but like this match is crap <laughs> <laughs> brilliant <laughs> You say, but you say it might be a mid card. That's what this feels like. It's so again, sort of like there's moments in it when actually it's not bad. There's like flashes of like, oh, this is interesting. Um, like it goes, like it goes to the outside of the ring and they do a couple of bits and pieces and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is this is interesting. And then it just goes back to being not even like standard. It's just very. As I'm sort of seeing a lot of stuff so far, it's just very bland. Like. Do you know what I mean? There's there's no sort of like big spots. There's no major sort of things. And again, like I, I now you've said the sort of like you know they were looking to see if Crush could be that Hogan replacement for there, like the blonde, the big blonde dude for a, for a short time. Um, it sort of shows, but he feels like a, you know, a, a, a substandard. Hogan, you know, like a sort of like a pound shop sort of version of Hogan. <laughs> I mean, you've um, doing a pound shop and service there, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. It, again, it, it you know, th- this is one of those. Um, this, I think, this is one of those matches where the era gets shown up. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like even you because you, you could have a match like this today, or even sort of a couple of years later. And they would still, you know, in a pay per view, and they'd, they'd pull out something a bit special, like even as a mid card, they'd pull out something like a big spot or a or something, or a big finish. And this doesn't seem to have anything. Again, like this would be a, a, a 
I don't know, a curtain jerk or a mid sort of mid card for a sort of a, a weekly show, you know, like a, a Saturday night main event or a SmackDown or whatever. Like it just feels really sort of like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's funny. And, and what, what what I actually looked at as well, I know obviously in the UK we were absolutely amazed that the WWF, because no one knew Vince McMahon run it at this point, but they were absolutely amazed that they came to the UK and they sold out. And, and Vince was very clever with this, Scott, because he moved at the time when in America the WWF was uh, flailing. We had the Hulk Hogan scandal from the year before with the drugs and everything. Vince McMahon was under investigation mm. for the steroids. Again, Ultimate Warrior had gone for a few months, come back a bit leaner. Hulk Hogan was on a hiatus for this event. So so it was starting to go. People were booing Hogan, like we said, in the Royal Rumble. When Sid kicks Hogan out, Grilla Monsoon said, I think that was a fair thing, and they had to re-record it, so they made it look like he was turning heel, which he did. And then the crowd were booing Hogan. They were happy when he got kicked out, so they had to re-record and put, like, canned stuff in, as we mentioned. So Vince McMahon was so clever, because this is actually the, the highest ever uh, pay-per-view for the WWF, WWE, for merchandise. He sold absolutely sold uh, 1.5 um, million in merchandise, which is the biggest amount ever at a single event. Do you know what I mean? So, so he, he, he was so yeah, clever. it's... Oh yeah, no, like Vince. Vince is, um, yeah, he's a, he's a really savvy businessman, isn't he? Like he knows his stuff. I mean, and as well, like bringing SummerSlam, you know, like to uh, you know to to England and doing it. Um, I mean, to, to be fair to him, like as well, bringing SummerSlam to England and then holding it in Wembley Arena, which is an open area, uh, open arena, is it bloody risky when you think about it? Like it's not exactly guaranteed to have hot weather. Or, or <laughs> I stuff. was thinking that could have, could have been absolutely could have been absolutely dreadful. This couldn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, no, he, he is right. And you can because the one thing I would say about all of this is one of the things that carried me through this is the crowd, like the the, the hype you can feel even watching it back. Um, like the crowd are so into this this event, and they're so like just thrilled to be there, and rightfully so because I think I would have been too. That they're just into everything. There's whatever whatever like Vince is wheeling out, you know. Here's crushing Reaper Man. Yes! Yeah, yeah. Everyone's into it, and I'm like, all right, that's cool. But like, you know, you've also got that thing of like, I'm watching it in with with critical eye and in retrospect and thinking like, yeah, you you were sort of like told you were getting you know, some fillet steak and you basically got sort of like a dingy burger. But it's it's uh, it's not terrible, but it's definitely... Um, it, it would have been good to be there, I think. I'd have loved yeah, to Yeah, I'm the same. And I'm sure looking at, like, your timeline on Twitter, there's a few people mentioned some of the events, like WrestleMania 14. There's a few people who've been at that, haven't they? You know, which was amazing. Mm. I Like I say, I've never... It's stupid. All these years I've watched wrestling, I've never seen it live, you know, Scott. And that's sacrilege of someone who like researches it and everything. I've never actually been and watched a live event, which is terrible. Yeah, that's really? bad to admit that. I know. But... See, that's a, that's something else. But that's something else we have to change. Definitely, and, and a lot of it's not because I, I didn't want to go. And only to nine kids, we never had any money. My mum and dad simply yeah. couldn't give me forty, fifty quid and say, "Right, we'll see you tomorrow." And pat me off because <laughs> they'd have to do it to all of us. They, we just didn't have the money. We grew up in a, a little council house, all of us. It was like the fucking Waltons in my house. So, 
and then when I got older, I got I got engaged pretty early, so I was like 19, but got married at 20. So uh, that's not just excuses. I could have gone to these events in Manchester. I was supposed to take my godson a couple of years ago, and it never came off. He ended up being ill. And we had tickets for Raw, because I, I remember it being at the Manchester Arena. And, uh, we never went. Yeah. I was more excited. And he was like, I'm finally going to go. I know the, the product isn't as good <laughs> as it was, but I was like, oh, great. I'm going to see The Undertaker. And I think Shawn Michaels was like a guest referee or something. And... However, I've never been live. But you're right. What I was getting at as well, sorry I went off on a tangent, was Crush got a massive pop when he came in and it's like, he is shit. Yeah. What are you popping for yeah. this fucker? I'd rather <laughs> pop for the Repo Man than this fucker. Well, I think the thing is, who comes out first? Repo Man comes out first. There's no music. He? He's already in the ring. They, li- they literally just bin him off, yeah. don't they? Yeah, they literally shows shows how much they care. But what from a crowd point of view and from a psychology point of view, like if you've got Repo Man out, like it's simple psychology, isn't it? Like he's out. He looks like a villain. I mean, you know, <clears throat> with that bloody mask on, he looks like a crappy version of the Hamburglar. <laughs> but he's, he's he's out there looking. For things. You know, you've got your villain. You've got your heel in the ring. So whoever's coming out, you're like, that's. That's the uh, the you know that's my baby face. That's my hero. <clears throat> so if you've established the villain, whoever's coming out to that curtain is going to get a pop. And if you're already sort of like up for it, you you know it's it's given that extra boost. So again, this is this comes down to the psychology. Like Vince gets it, <clears throat> you know, with a lot of these things. Like he knows the order that people should be coming out in. He knows sort of he, they get like you know this is all a show, isn't it? Like you're playing the crowd. And I think that's why he's one of the things that like Vince is incredibly good at. And when you've got some of the best workers, um, le- later on when you come to the Attitude Era, like they play the psychology thing like to a T. Um, and some of those moments that you know everyone looks back on and goes, yeah, that's that's what the Attitude Era was. And they sort of they you know they come to the top of the of the best moments. They forget there's some utter crap as well. But like just that psychology that gets that pop. It could be really simple stuff, but it gets a massive pop. So yeah, so that's sort of that our, our mid card baffling match. But we're now going into what is actually touted as the main event. It's not, it's not the main match of the evening, but it's touted on all the posters and a lot of things as the main event. And this is obviously for the uh, WWF uh, Heavyweight Title Championship, uh, the Ultimate Warrior versus Macho Man Randy Savage. And I was all for this match because. I love both these guys. I was really excited watching this. Um, and I hadn't remembered the story. And I'll be honest with you. I was sort of coming in all these years later. I was duped. I was duped a little bit by the uh, Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect uh, Kurt Henning storyline. That one of these two, Warrior or Savage, had sold out and was going to have backup from Flair and Perfect in their corner. Um, so what were your thoughts on this match and that sort of the angle that was being played there well it's actually partially true to be honest the angle the the actual idea was and I don't know why he didn't take it but obviously Omar Warrior came back after he'd not been seen since SummerSlam 91 when him and Hogan fought against Slaughter, General Adnan obviously Iron Sheik and Colonel Mustafa and he'd fell out with Vince. He wanted like there was some contract dispute because he wanted the same as Hogan. He would try they tried to build him up, aren't they? It's like this shining light. And he'd lost the title early ninety-one against uh, Slaughter. Um and he, he basically this these letters actually online when he wrote to 
Vince and Vince wrote back to him. They, I think uh, Ultimate Warrior actually released them years later when he was on like a proper uh, anti-WWE, uh, WWF uh, phase. If you look online, they're still available on YouTube, even though I know he passed away. Wow. Um, but also there was the drugs problem, i.e. the steroid thing that was going on. Ultimate Warrior disappeared, come back at WrestleMania 8. People thought he was a different Ultimate Warrior. It was the same Jim Helwick who played him from the start. You can clearly see that. Even when they say there was two Undertakers, the only two Undertakers when they had the fake Undertaker, and it's always been Mark Calloway, always. They Just when they did that stupid thing for a few months at one point with the Undertaker, about 94, I think it was. Um but however, sorry, I digress. So so he came back and Warrior was being a bit arsy and was like, blah, blah, blah. And the idea was that Ultimate Warrior was going to side with Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect and they were going to give him the title. And Vince said, you can have the title, but I want you to turn heel on Macho Man. And he was like, I am not turning heel, which I think in hindsight, looking now, was probably the worst decision that Warrior made uh, why he would not want to take the strap, I do not know. But literally, days before, they had to rewrite this whole outcome. So the whole... They played this angle out of Flair and, and Perfect, and he was fully aware, Warrior, what was going to happen, and then decided, you know what, I'm not doing it. And and he didn't... He ended up leaving the WWF in the November, because remember, it was just before the Survivor Series. It was supposed to be him and Macho against Flair and, against Flair and Razor Ramon. He come into it just after this, and it ended up being perfect with Macho Man. He'd come out of retirement eight months after going down with his back injury. I remember I mentioned about the insurance thing and stuff. Um, yeah. I remember they got a beat down by Flair and Razor Ramon, and it was all to do with just kicking the Warrior out. So while he was being awkward, and that's why it made no sense why we had this perfect and Flair angle. Scott, they had to play it yeah. out, but it looked stupid why we'd have two baby faces against each other and this little bit of political, is he going to turn bad? And that bit, I've got to say, Scott, and I'm sorry, I know I end up bloody talking over you, I do apologise, but that bit with Lord Alfred Hayes, you'd said about this weird English guy, <laughs> how fucking bad was that before? He went to Macho's oh. and was like, hey, there's no answer from Macho Man's door, but when he went to the Warriors and Warrior or some hand shuts the door and he went, I find that deeply rude and I'm like you wanker and Mr. Man's laughing like in the back like when he comes back to comedy he was like that is fucking shit it was terrible acting it is it, no, it really is that I, I was sort of yeah I thought the ones at Rumble were bad but they are so bad for this oh, terrible um, it's yeah it is it's, it's, it is weird this whole angle though because they keep playing it up like they keep going back to them throughout the um there's a, I mean to be fair the what the, the best bit of that angle that obviously like you say clearly doesn't go anywhere um is actually there's a promo that flair gives early on to mean gene and uh mean gene's like so whose corner are you going to be and who's sold out da, da, da. um it ends up with him saying like so who are you going to be coming out with or who are you going to be this and he said oh you've been perfect and he just goes well it's Ah. And he just basically keeps sort of like three times he sort of like um, milks it and sort of says like you know just laughs at him and then that's it. And I was just like it's such a good like fl- flare promo. Um, and I so I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, it's a weird angle because I, I was convinced it was going to be Savage. Like I hadn't remembered anything. I was like oh, it's got to be Savage. Like Savage is the only one that's going to turn heel to protect the belt or whatever. Um, you know, and maybe he'll give. Uh, nature boy a shot or something but yeah no that so the angle doesn't really go anywhere but the match itself actually isn't too bad um 
No. What are your thoughts? No, it's not. Um, it isn't actually Scott. I think what they were relying on was because of what happened with Hogan and him going, they needed a strong baby face. And the, 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 the strongest mm. baby face outside Hogan was still the ultimate warrior, despite he'd flitted in and out of the, the, the actual WWF at the time. That's the idea. They wanted to make him heal. And what they were trying to do was, the whole idea was, if they make the ultimate warrior, who was the ultimate uh, baby face, a baddie, Hulk Hogan, as I mentioned, was getting loads of shit. The crowd had turned on him. Everyone was sick of him. But the idea was for Hulk Hogan to turn up in the new year, either Royal Rumble or WrestleMania 9, and save the WWF from the Ultimate Warrior um, because nobody yeah. could beat him. And he was supposed. To, and Sid Justice wasn't on this card because he'd failed a drug test just after WrestleMania 8. So he ended up going to WCW pretty much after this. And he ended up coming back in 96, 97, winning the title. But he did end up going on a hiatus. So he wasn't there. So the, the idea was to turn Warrior heel make it like the WWF was on its last legs and everything, and all of a sudden they were going to play this angle of Hulk Hogan comes out of retirement or comes like, you know, he's he's, he's somewhere sort of licking his wounds and stuff, and then and then the crowd build up and we have another run of Hulkamania. But because, what, I think that's why Warrior didn't want to turn heel, because he thought he could, mm. he could take the promotion on his own like Hulk had done, and it just didn't work. But... I think as a match, it's great. They also relied on WrestleMania 7 because the year before the WrestleMania 7 retirement match between Warrior and Macho, when Macho had gone as the Macho King with Sherry, as I mentioned, and then he, he ended up, Sherry levers him at the end and Elizabeth comes in and they reconcile and they get married at SummerSlam. That is an absolutely amazing match. That is an absolutely, because mm. he was supposed to retire, but he literally, by four months later, he was back out of retirement, Macho Man. So it was a pointless <laughs> wrestling retirement. Yeah. But But again... <laughs> That was an amazing match, so much better than this. I think this is a great match, and it, actually the Warrior sells loads on this, which is quite surprising. Yeah. However, he does miss a spot. He picks Savage up in a in a gorilla press and ends up falling back onto the ropes, and Macho Man ends up getting tangled into the ropes. Um, mm. I, I just think it went on too long. It's the longest match on the card. It's 28 minutes, and to be fair, it's not a patch on the Hitman and British Bulldog. However, it's still a good no. match. It's just the ending is pretty. Like you were saying about Shawn Michaels and the, the model, this is the same. It's a really, it's a lame uh, way for the match to finish, considering they put loads of different pieces in. It was like setting a chessboard. They put so many things in. And the ultimate thing would have been, Scott, was for one of them to double-cross the other. That was set up for the... It should have been the Warriors to take the title. That would have made perfect sense, to be honest. It would have been the great payoff to this to this match. Because, again, the payoff you get, the finish you get, is dreadful. It's, 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 it's a count-out finish. You know, Warrior wins the match but doesn't get the title. Um... And all that usual gubbins that just I just hate. It just sort of it's so woolly and fluffy and pointless. Like it doesn't do anything. I mean the match is really solid. I I really enjoy this match. Um and I do think both guys like give it their all. You know, there's there's yeah, there's a couple of blown spots, but you know, it's really good it's a really good solid early nineties match. I mean, you know, Savage is, is is really doing some great stuff. Um and like you say, for Warrior to be selling and to be actually Hitting the canvas in the way that he does is quite surprising, um, and he obviously builds up to his sort of you know he he warriors up and whatever at the end and shaking the ropes and you know um, heaving and pumping and getting all ready and stuff. Which um, looking when I was let's say when I was watching this was this ninety two so I'd be like ten nine ten um, 
age. Um, that bit, you know, him getting pumped up and sort of like, you know, he does shake the ropes and <laughs> getting all into that. Like, I'd be well into it. And like, it, it's still good. It's still a good, a good sort of like build up. But when you watch it and you're sort of in your late 30s, you do sort of go, you're just sort of running on the spot. <laughs> It looks a little silly, like everything else. But then when he starts jogging on the spot, I'm like, oh, no, no, you've blown it. It looks daft. Sorry. Um, but it is a good match. I really enjoyed this match. I was all, I was all over this. I was, I was, this match up until the finish made me smile. Like made me really smile. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause like I say, growing up, the warrior was more for me than Hulk Hogan. As much as I always play, everyone always got like we're playing FIFA before pro clubs, and as much as that game mode infuriates me, I play it with my brothers and my daughter, my sister. There's like six of us in the team, and they all call me Hoagie in it because my guy's always Hulk Hogan. Even though I've changed him recently to Ric Flair, Stone Cold, I change him to <laughs> stupid. We all change our characters to stupid people. But I, I'm renowned as Hulk. Even the lads at work call me Hulk. You know, not because I'm I don't look like Hulk Hogan, but just because I've always got like uh, Hulk Hogan pictures. My actual screensaver on my phone is my gamer tag picture for Xbox, which is a miniature cartoon Hulkamania '78. It's just Hulk Hogan ripping his shirt off, and I just played on that. But the warrior was my guy. The music, everything, the crowd goes crazy. But you're right. It. it it sets so many things in place for a really, really crescendo finish and just sort of damp squeeze. And the fact it's a cheapo count out where the warrior comes back in and picks Macho Man up and all that crap. And you're like, oh, this is fucking yeah. rubbish. I mean, when Flair and Perfect come in and start levering him, I was happy with that. I was like, go on, just kick the shit out of yeah. him. Even though I know the result, I was like, just lever him. I don't yeah. care who wins, to be honest. Well, it goes, that's the thing, but it gets really messy. That's the problem. I mean, there's a, the whole finish of this. There's a point of the finish where Macho comes off the ropes and he sort of, um, you know, he's supposed to have injured his knee. You know, he sort of does something. You're like, oh my god, he's hurt his knee. And I know that sort of is played out after this in future events and stuff. But um, you say it just it just feels messy. This end, it's really messy and really sort of unclear uh, as to what they're actually trying to achieve. And so it sort of yeah, it wasn't it wasn't. Um, uh, yeah, it just doesn't go anywhere. So, but it's good to see Flair. I mean, you know, Flair wax on again, like the figure four outside the uh, outside the ring and some other bits. So, there's some good little moments. But overall, like the match is good. Again, this is it's it's a a complete redo of the the Ricky Martel Shawn Michaels affair. Where, yeah, the match is good. The finish is dreadful, and just it just. It, it, it tarnishes the match a little. You, you know what I found quite interesting, Scott, as well? I don't know if you picked up on this, because they never... You know, like, obviously, all the WWF songs, and even to this day, are produced by... And should know this. I can't remember his bloody name. Jim... I can't remember his name. Jim Summer. He produces all the songs, basically. Hulk Hogan's, The mm. Warriors, everything. Jim... Yeah, you know, yeah. I can't. I've got the, I've got the, I've got the CD collection. I can see his name on the front. Like, yeah, I've, I've got yeah. the. I'm a real American on my iPhone. He's have it as an <laughs> as a, a logo, a, a ringtone. Um, but he never designed them songs for more than thirty seconds because obviously the ring entry. Yeah. WrestleMania Eight is a long ring entrance, but SummerSlam '92 because you have to have motorbikes. Legion of Doom is a hell of an entrance, and at least three or four people. Mm. Like the Ultimate Warrior, the Macho Man, um, British Bulldog, the Hitman, and even 
and not the Undertaker, but even maybe Legion of Doom and that. But the songs repeated by the time they got to the ring, and I don't think Vince yeah. probably knowing how what control for it, he would have been very happy with that because Warrior's song got played at the start and at the end again, and it just kept repeating. And I was like, I don't think they've worked this out very well. No, I know what you mean. It yeah, it it goes towards a sort of slightly messy nature of this whole affair, really. But um, but no, yeah, say so it's it's. It, Warrior is good in this, you know. Um, I kind, I kind of like his outfit as well. His, his, uh, his ring attire at this, the the muscles and stuff, is actually quite, kind of cool. I'm not sure why I like it so much, but it was, I was really digging that. Um, and uh, Match has gone for a full body sort of kind of thing as well, which I find a little weird. I'm used to hearing sort of, you know, the old sort of school of wearing the sort of the trunks and the, the yellow boots and stuff. I've got, um, I've got, I've got something behind that, Scott. If you don't mind me jumping in, um, yeah, yeah, go for the it. The reason yeah, yeah. that why Warrior wore that jumpsuit, I don't know, because when he come back in that run in '92, he'd always he, in '92 when he come back with Hogan, he had the truck, the trunks on, the purple trunks, but he looked obviously smaller. Yeah. And I think it might have been that's why, because he was trying to bulk up. He always had a six pack. Why Warrior had fake sort of uh, sprayed on six pack on his body. I don't know for this outfit because you can clearly see he's putting the bulk back on, he's putting muscle back on from... Well, still oh, ripped. he's massive, he's, yeah. He's incredibly... He's, yeah. He's, he is big, he's big. He's not as big as his first run, but he's getting there because he come back no. a lot lighter. But Macho Man was very, very body conscious. Now, in the WCW era, he went massive as he also early 2000s because he starred in the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. He was uh, bone crushing... Yeah, Buzzsaw, yeah. Uh, Oh, but no, but yeah, Bone McGraw, McGraw, yeah. Right, Bo- Buzzsaw, Buzzsaw was in the yeah, running. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Buzzsaw, yeah. And he was Bone Crusher yeah. McGraw, so he was massive in that. Now, obviously, he was late 40s then. Um, he was huge. He went back on the gear. He looked massive. Now, at this point, this is why Vince wasn't sure about putting the strap on him because he'd never had a smaller guy. He'd had Macho before, mm. but he was always ripped. Wasn't he? He, was, he was a smaller frame than Hogan, yeah. about 5'11", but he always had that wideness. But obviously, he'd been a commentator and he'd, he'd not wrestled a lot. And he can clearly see he's got no definition on his arms and that he's just like a small... He probably mm. still looks miles better than me and you, you know what I mean? Like, but <laughs> in, in his head, he probably was He was very, very conscious of it. And I know when he went into TNA around sort of like the mid-2000s when he came back, mm. he would never take his shirt off because he wasn't on the gear. He was obviously... And he, and he could match on one company on the gear at this time because of what had been happening. So, because his brother talks about that, like when he went on the gear, how big he got, and then he, he lost it. And you can clearly see he's, he might have had injuries as well, but he, he was very, as a person, he was very, very body conscious. However, the warrior, I can't explain. I don't know. But I did like that outfit. It always reminds me of uh, SummerSlam yeah. 92, that outfit he had on. Yeah, it's cool. But I didn't know that. I mean, that explains a lot. I mean, I can imagine why. I mean, it sounds daft to say it because these guys are all huge and all sort of... But again, like, if you are in that locker room and, uh, you know, you have been known as sort of like the champ and you've had that body before, I suppose to go in and then sort of maybe not live up to that because you you would feel conscious of that um, around, especially some of these younger guys or other guys that are running that sort of... um, that's sort of peak performance body type and stuff that they do have in uh, on some of the guys. So, well, that's that's, that's fascinating. I didn't realise that about um, Randy Savage. Mm, sorry, a bit useless information for you, there, Scott. But yeah, no, no, so none of it's useless on 20th Century Geek. It's all point. It's all useful to someone. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it. It goes on. It's 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 got a really weird ending. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm all ready now. You know, and I remember sort of like, I knew the Undertaker was on this. So I was all up for it. And uh, and so we get. Undertaker versus Kamala in what is possibly 
rivaling Crush and Repo Man for one of the worst match, the worst match on this card. But when Kamala comes out, right, and as you say, it's quite a long entrance because it's got it's a it's a big runway, it's a big sort of uh, aisle, and he's walking down the aisle, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about Kamala, sort of, and he's a big black guy. Uh, yeah, God, he's sort of like he's not. I mean, he's not. You know, he's not in great shape, but he, he's sort of. You know, it's big black guy, and they are using him as some sort of like uh, the gimmick to describe it is. Oh, um, tribal native African, I suppose. Um, he's supposed to be from a tribe in Africa, a cannibal, no less, from a tribe in Africa. And they are playing it to the hilt. Like he comes out, he's wearing sort of like skins and a loincloth. He, um, you know, obviously comes out barefoot. He doesn't, he doesn't wrestle in boots. Um, and he's carrying, he's carrying like a, a, a Maasai warrior shield and a spear and wearing a wooden mask. I, my jaw hit the fucking floor <laughs> when I saw him coming out. And stuff like this, usually I'm a bit like, okay, you've got to sort of, you know, it's a sign of the times or it's a different time and, you know, different sort of uh, sensibilities. But even in 1992, someone must have poked Vince in the ribs and gone, you you, you do know this isn't sort of really, you know, good. <laughs> um, and even as he comes down, like Bobby the Brain Heenan says, uh, um, I don't know what he's going to do with The Undertaker. Uh, Kamala's an animal. He's going to boil him in a pot. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> this gets worse. Um, yeah, they refer, throughout the match, they refer, refer to him as an animal, as a savage, as uh, a wild beast. And I was just like, oh, this this makes me feel really uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 um, I mean, he's not even a good worker. Like, he, there's a spot in this where, like, he fucking almost, blo- he blows something terrible. Um, which we'll get to in a minute, but yeah, I was absolutely gobsmacked when I saw him coming out, and they play because he comes out with a guy dressed like a, a like an explorer as well in like a pith helmet and all the the sort of uh, you know the exploring gear as well. It's bizarre. Well, well, the guy's called Friday, and he was originally I never forget him because he was originally in the wrestling in '84. He had a couple of matches with Hogan, uh, Arjun. Then he left. Then he come back '86, '87, and and. Uh, one of the mass handles was called Kimchi, and I never forget that eighty six, eighty seven. And he went against Hogan for the title a few times, but again disappeared. And then he come back. He was sort of working promotions and stuff, but he's from fucking Mississippi. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think now I could be wrong, but I'm sure he's had one of his legs amputated because of injuries. <laughs> um, he, he, he's a very, very um, weird. Um, it, it, it really is uh, a weird character. But again, you're right, Scott. And I think at this point, The Undertaker had come in hot in 91 and, and the, the SummerSlam. Uh, 1990 SummerSlam, sorry. And he'd come in hot. And I don't think they knew what to do with him. He'd had a, he'd had a run against Hogan, mm. a run against Ultimate Warrior. There was nobody around. And, and at this point, this thing with Harvey Whipperman and The Undertaker, and this ran to WrestleMania 9, because this is when I was saying about that... Um, uh, El Gigante, the big guy come from WCW, the big who fought, um, yes, the Undertaker at WrestleMania Nine, and that's where I think the next minute he was against like Yokozuna and stuff, the uh, Undertaker. But he was in a bit of a lull at this point because what a great gimmick against it was three minutes twenty seven seconds this match. What a shit match this was. 
Well, even so, like one of the worst, one of the first. I mean, they go back and forth. It's a bit. It, it leads like it's gonna be a squash, and then you know, Undertaker gets up on the top ropes, and he's sort of like he's gonna do something. Um, I almost think he's gonna. I think you know, he walks the top rope, doesn't he? And comes down with a big sort of forearm, um, and he's on the he's on the turnbuckle, and Kamala sort of like walks away. <laughs> And the Undertaker sort of somersaults off the top rope, doesn't he, into the yeah. ring, and he almost falls. I'm like, if I was Taker, um, you know, and in that, well, he's, you know, he's probably a lot more professional than me. But I'd have got up and just fucking leathered him. <laughs> like, I'd, have, I'd have laid, I'd have laid a proper potato on the guy. I'd have just been like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a bit of, a, it's a weird one, because then like then Kamala sort of um, gets the upper hand. And he lays into him, and it sort of ends. And the the and Taker's left sort of. He, oh, this is uh, that's what it's just. I'm just saying now. He he hits him with like is it two or three, um, like splashes. You yeah. Know? And I think you you know you and I, I think you know we've come from an era. No, actually, I'm not gonna say that. I was gonna say we've come from an era where we've been spoiled because you've had people you know some fantastic workers like Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, um, and others um, that have done you know wonderful splashes come off the top rope or come off the top of rings and stuff but even at this point you've had like superfly jimmy snooker you've had um macho man that have done splashes when kamala comes off that top rope he basically sort of jumps down lands on his feet and then falls on the undertaker like it i'm, I'm literally watching this and thinking how are you even a worker in the wwf yeah you know what scott he's so right because he does two off the middle rope and then finally does one off the big the top rope, and I'd forgotten this match. I genuinely was thinking, sure, the Undertaker gets up on this one off the top rope, but he doesn't. But the way he lands, and I've never done wrestling, you've done wrestling, and you know how to take the bumps. What you know, you'd be able to do a far better splash. I know now that I could sell a splash. I mean, look at Rob Van Dam when he used to do his, <laughs> his frog splash, you know, what yeah. I mean, he'd hold his stomach and roll exactly. around the floor and everything. And genuinely, when you watch it, you're like, What's the holy fuck? Now I watch Thingy. I know I always put it on Twitter. I don't know if I, I don't remember whether I tagged you, but have you ever seen the? I always put it on the Subway, uh, Royal Rumbles, New York, the matches and stuff. Have you ever seen them? No. So, oh Scott, it's amazing. I'll I'll send you some links. So basically, it's a load of young lads who dress up as the late nineties wwf wrestlers so the champion at the moment is mankind but they wrestle on the new york subway they've all got like fake hair like i watched the royal rumble that's just come out guys dressed up as gold dust these people sat there going coming back from work and they've got refs there there's a commentator does it he's a met then he did um they did a match uh like a hell in the cell in like a it was sort of in the back of an industrial building in new york and you've got like guy dressed as bret hart undertaker in kane stone cold the rock they look fuck all like him you know what i mean but it's just yeah uh, honestly anybody listening it's truly amazing and, and they're in the middle of times square doing promos and then they have a match on the on the, the subway in new york and they end up in the middle of like uh, one of the main uh, tour I should know this because it was there at Christmas, one of the main tourist bits, having a match with like these guys dressed in the old referees' outfits and stuff. Oh, <laughs> Scott, it is truly amazing. I love it. Absolutely one of the best things on YouTube. Them guys, one of them does, a, one of them does the other day a frog splash, an Eddie Guerrero frog splash from about four foot away. He, he stands on one of the seats on the New York subway and does a frog splash to the guys near the door. He must be four feet away, but he even does the, the you know, the knees into the stomach um, movement. Mm. Eddie does, and that looked fucking ace. And they're selling like, fuck, and you're watching Kamala here. You're right, Scott. 
he's fucking dreadful. How Vincent Mann accepted this sort of gimmick, I do not know, because he's a really, really bad worker. Oh, he's dreadful. Like he's dangerously bad at some points. Like you know, it, it, yeah, I was baffled. I was like, oh, and I, you know, I I wanted to check. Like, okay, was because Kamala has always been in my head. Um, it's a bit like there's been a few. Is it like Papa Shango and um, you know, a few other sort of like high profile sort of like black guys that have been workers and stuff that I always remember. I was thinking maybe Kamala didn't last as long as I think he did. No, he was around for a while. Um. A lot longer than I think he really deserved to be, you know. I don't, and I don't know what he did after WWF, but yeah, it's it's this match and the ending as well. Jesus Christ, is awful. Again, like it ends with DQ. Uh, the Undertaker wins by disqualification because it goes out of the ring and the stuff. And then you get the um, the only best bit, and you actually sent this to me earlier on. The best bit of this match is he's hitting with these dreadful splashes. And he leaves the ring thinking, like, you know, he's lost the match. Kamala thinks he's lost the match, but he's, he's basically, but he's won the battle kind of thing, uh, having sort of knocked down The Undertaker. And you get all this stuff of, like, Bobby the Brain and, and Vince McMahon as commentators are saying, like, he's out, he's out, he's taken out Undertaker. And then he sits bolt up because, you know, Paul Bearer's raising the urn and all this other stuff. Um, and he sits bolt upright. And the only thing that's, is Kamala's reaction is priceless. <laughs> but But that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it. Well, what's interesting, Scott, is I know obviously it's all storylines, but they play up the Undertaker's winning streak. We know it's all premeditated. We know he has some amazing matches. This, this mm. is a fucking stretch to call this a victory. It's probably one of the worst yeah. matches I've ever seen at any WrestleMania. Uh, or yeah, SummerSlam, it's a, sorry. It's a, it's a, <laughs> or any event. It's just a, it's a dreadful. I mean, you know, you know, we. Um, Mark Galloway, the sort of the Undertaker, sort of he's renowned as being sort of what they call him, like a locker room leader, isn't he? He's one of the generals backstage. Like he keeps people in line and all this other stuff. And he's he has been known to sort of like when things have gone pear shaped and stuff, he's called people out on it and all this other stuff. Like I don't know how I don't know what his position really was at this point in his career in the locker room, but I, I get the feeling like if this was five years later, like he'd have probably ripped Kamala's head off backstage. <laughs> And like, what are you playing at? And coincidentally, Scott, um, did you see the promo we did on Monday Night Raw the other day? On AJ? On AJ Styles, yes. yes. The badass he's back by the I looks did. of it. Yeah. I can't, I'm, I'm, look, I'm hoping, you know, because he is, he's, it sounds bad, but he's getting on a bit in years now and he's sort of like, you know, I don't, even, I don't want to have that image of The Undertaker tarnished. So, if, you know, if he was to go out, though, as the American badass, I'd be happy with that. I, lo- I loved that gimmick. Yeah. That sort of... Uh, what was that, like 2001? Yeah, he came back, didn't he? And he totally changed. I remember yeah. him coming in, saving the rock. He was on his bike, wasn't he? Because he had this build-up for weeks. He weren't sure who it was. And then he, he says something that someone pulled it off. The people are great, aren't they, online? But someone pulled it off YouTube. He says in that promo, I'll make you famous. Well, he says the same yes. thing to Triple H in one of the roles. They were arguing with each other face-to-face. So that's obviously what he's going back to, hopefully. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we're going miles off, years off now, but I love it. Was, um, that, that whole, when he was the American badass, that sort of, for some reason, of all the Undertakers, I, I don't know why, I really, I really like that gimmick. Um, and the whole, I'll make you famous, because I remember he had, he had a, a short run with DDP as well, didn't he? Of his wife, um, yeah, Sarah. Where, yeah, yeah, where Sarah was, sort of, he was, someone was stalking it and all this other stuff, and he, he, they came out, they didn't know who it was, and he came out to the ring wearing a mask, and then sort of, he peeled off his, uh, his balaclava, and it was DDP. And um, 
yeah, stuff like that. It's just it's silly, but I yeah, I loved all that, and um, I literally you know we've been talking about the WWE Network. One of the matches, one of the first matches I went and watched was um, Undertaker in his Ballas gimmicks. I think it was two thousand and two, uh, February March two thousand and two. Him versus Jeff Hardy in a ladder match on Raw, and uh, um, it's outstanding. Like you know, Jeff Hardy is, is doing all this crazy stuff. Takers that sort of like really going for it, and it's about respect, you know. And sort of the end of it, so Takers the champion as well, and um, you know, at the end of it, sort of like Jeff Hardy screams to him like, "I'm still standing," and the Taker just goes into the ring as if he's going to deck him one last time, and then just sort of like just pulls him up, holds him up as like you know, now you've earned my respect. Oh man, this is yeah. So, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with the uh, him and AJ could do some good stuff. I think. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it it'll work well. AJ's and again, you mentioned DDP Scott. I know you've uh, dusted him off, but obviously my shoulder yeah. injury is, is, is stopping me at the moment. But I love DDP yoga and. Uh, AJ's a big advocate of DDP yoga. That's what he does on, as well as his uh, weights, conditioning and that. So I think that'll be a great match. He's in good condition, AJ Styles. He is. Yeah, he's a great worker mm. as well. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to see where that goes. Right. So, yeah, the, it shows, though, that we actually talked about Undertaker um, and what he's doing now and in other years rather than the match. <laughs> so that sort of goes to show how shit that match is. <laughs> well, the, well, the old adage is, most of Undertaker's matches, his fucking entrance is longer than the matches, and it was on this one, my yeah. God. But anyway, yeah, yeah you're right. Um, so we come to the real main event, like the big finish of the of the show, and sort of like it's been built up. Um, obviously, this is in England, so who else other than British Bulldog to be the head of the card? And so you have British Bulldog versus Bret Hart for the Intercontinental Championship. Um now, before we get to the match, um, you have a promo because part of the angle is that Bret Hart obviously came up with the Hart, um, you know, boys. Did he? Did he actually train in the in the in the basement? Um, in the dungeon, yeah, he did, Davy boy. Yeah, dungeon, him and yeah. Dynamite. That's yeah. why Chris Benoit uh, and Jericho and that love the Dynamite kid so much because. Um, mm. They they all trained together basically, and and they were all heroes yeah. of theirs. Incidentally, Scott, I don't know if you've seen him. Sorry to keep going off on a tangent. For anyone listening, but yeah. it was on YouTube. I think he's been taken down, but I think you can still get it if you've got certain apps on your Fire Stick. But I think it might be it may be going back up. Vice have done us a, a part one and two on Chris Benoit. His final basic weeks. Yes. Oh. Was it called The Dark Side? Yeah, of the Rings, I've watched right? literally the first episode and it bloody went off, didn't it? Ten minutes from the end, I went away, uh, come back, and it got tucked down. But I tell you what, you've got to watch it, Scott. It's absolutely. Is yeah. It good? They've got a wrestler, an indie wrestler at the moment, um, who they do like a. He plays Benoit when they're doing certain spots, but he's all like blurred out. So he goes on the top rope and everything. And But they're talking to Eddie, um, they're not talking to Eddie Guerrero, they're talking to like um, Vicky Guerrero, Di Malenko, Jericho, mm. you know, different people, wow. JR. It's really, really good. I haven't watched the second one yet. And like I say, I'm 10 minutes from the end of the first one. But if you can seek it out online, it's really, really good. Really good. It's called Dark Side of the Ring, yes. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard about. There's it, a full yeah. series on that, yeah, by the way. Sorry, it's, I, sorry, I keep cutting you off. I'm so sorry. Yeah. There's a full series <laughs> available, and I've watched uh, three of the four. So you've got uh, it, from the first series. So I watched it a couple of weeks ago. So you've got how Bruiser Brody got killed um, in in uh, Japan. Have you ever heard that story? So Bruiser yeah. Brody, these um, these th- these three or four different people with the background of the wrestling, and it's re- it's it's really good. A good watch, honestly. 
I'll try yeah. that down. I will try that. That'd be fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, people, check that out. Dark Side of the Ring. It's out there somewhere. I'm sure you can get hold <laughs> yeah. of it in some in, way. In, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, so they, they've come up together and obviously the, the, the other part of the angle now is now that um, Bulldog is now uh, either ma- married to Bret Hart's sister, um, Diana. And so you get this intersection before the match of her being interviewed. Is it Mean Jean that's interviewed? Uh, Sean Mooney. Uh, Sean Mooney here. So she's been interviewed about the match and she's clearly not a, a worker. <laughs> she's not a performer. Um, but this, you know, we said about stuff going on too long. This segment goes on way too long. It's awful. It's awful, Scott. It really is. So... Someone in the in the production office should have been looking at this and going, "Get this off, get cut to something else. This is awful." Yeah, because I know building up they had like Owen was siding with Brett, one of yeah. his brothers Keith was siding with David Boy. He was like endorsing him and training him, and then she was in the middle, and she's terrible. And it gets that bad, and she's droning on and on and on. That Sean Mooney cuts her off before she can even say yeah. like. See ya. He just goes. Let's get to ringside. And you can see her looking, and I could. And in my head, Scott, I don't know if you're the mm-hmm. same, because it's literally five minutes of pain. This she's she's dead monotone. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who I want to win, but I want them to have a good match. Uh, well, what about thing? I just want them to have a good match. They've known each other for years, and and he's my <laughs> husband, and he's my. I love them both, and it's going on, and everything. Sean Mooney said. What they would have been better doing was bringing somebody in as a pretend Davy boy, a worker who can do a promo. Yeah, I was going to say, some performer. Yeah, some, yeah. The fact that they used the properly um, was terrible. And you're right, Scott, it was, it was fucking uh, nails down a chalkboard. It was terrible. <laughs> it really is. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I skipped some of it. I was getting to it, I was like, you know, because on the, on the, um, I was watching this but on the tablet and I was like, Right, you can skip forward ten seconds. I was like ten. All right, it's still going on. Right, ten. Oh, it's, it's still it's still going on. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it was hard work. Well, hard work. Can I um, give a bit of insider info? I mean, you may know this, so I don't want to sound like I'm fountain of knowledge. I remember this from when I was a kid. A couple of things to this match. You mentioned in the Royal Rumble '92 that they turned round and said, "From London, England, Davy Boy Smith." Oh, yeah. no, he's not from London, England. He's from fucking Leeds when he's walking into... Yeah. He's never been from... He's from Wigan. He's from Lancashire. Lancashire and Yorkshire. Leeds is in Yorkshire. That is sacrilege yeah. to say to somebody they're from Leeds. It's like me from Manchester. That, that Me being a wrestler and Vincent Mann going, well, say from Liverpool. I tell you what, I don't care how much money he's paying me. I am not from fucking <laughs> Liverpool. If they told me to wear a Liverpool shirt, I'd be like, you know what, Vince? Stick up your fucking arse. I would not yeah. wear it. And for, to, for him to say that about him, and he walks in and then coming from Leeds, England, and, I, and I've just remembered you saying about the London bit because I missed that on the Royal Rumble. And I was pissing myself, going, I can't wait to tell Scott on the podcast if he'd seen it. You're right. I was going to say, I'm so glad you noticed it because it, it stuck out to me. And again, I was a bit like, it comes down to this sort of, weirdly casual racism from sort of uh you know the wf it's almost like where are you from well i'm from wigan in england okay so you're from london england no i'm i'm, I'm from wigan <laughs> right so you're from london england that we don't care nobody knows it nobody cares but then when they come to england you can't just say that because everybody knows yes. he's not from there <laughs> um but it is it's just it's just it's yeah it's it's 
It's one small thing, but it, it, it is silly. I totally agree. But, well, you know, we'd mentioned earlier about Hawk being off his tits, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah. step forward, Davy Boy Smith. Now, Bret Hart yeah. says this is the best match he's ever had. And I've got to say, in Bret Hart matches, and I know he's won against Stone Cold at WrestleMania 13, he's fantastic. Absolutely great match. Um, Bret Hart, is absolutely sensational in this match. I think, personally, it's my favourite match. He had to call this whole match on the fly because Davy Boy, again, like Hawk, was unattainable for literally 24 hours before this match, and they had to literally put him in a hotel because he was coked out of his fucking eyeballs, Scott. And when they were doing the match, he lost it completely. He lost two or three spots there. He didn't have a clue... What he was doing. That's why he took a lot of punishment because Brett had to control that match because he didn't have a clue what day it was. And and I think I, I think looking back, that is so irresponsible. He obviously that Oh it is the responsibility yeah, yeah. of carrying the main event. And there's only certain wrestlers can do that, like a Hogan or whatever. They know what to do. You, people can slate Hogan for his five move specials, John Cena, whatever. Mm. Ultimate Warrior couldn't do it. Hulk Hogan can do it. No. Ric Flair can do it. Stone Cold, Triple H, The Rock. I know these are all later ones from our... But there was nobody around the Hogan era. Every time Vince tried to put a strap on somebody, they just could not carry the company it's a, it, it comes from a different era that i think one of the things i'd say is especially sort of you know coming up through the dungeon and that sort of thing and and um you know you have that discipline that sort of thing but going back like if you if you listen to stories of the territories you know when they were sort of you know traveling from town to town and that sort of thing like the, this sort of thing would happen like people would get absolutely shit faced and then they'd go into the ring but for some reason that like, you hear stories of you know like Greg Valentine or um uh, Billy Graham all these old boys are sort of like we're holding and doing this stuff and and could do that they could go get shit faced and then have a match but like you say they were so disciplined and so sort of like well conditioned that they could do that you know they could get away with doing that um but yeah it's so irresponsible especially on a stage this big um, and especially in front of like coming back to England as, as a sort of like a, and it sounds it sounds daft, but as a sort of a representative in the WWF, it's it's it is it's sort of a bit knobbish. Really, yeah, it is. It? I mean, I mentioned earlier. Do you remember UK Rampage from ninety one? Vaguely, yeah. I do remember. It I vaguely, had that yeah. on video again. It was one of the ones that I, I got into after I sort of saw my WrestleMania seven and Royal Rumble ninety one, and. Davy Boy needed to remember this. I know it's easy in hindsight, God rest his soul. But he was fighting. He was the original show opener fighting the fucking warlord, and and it's and he was in mm. the UK. And and you, I remember the Superfly Jimmy Snook was against the Undertaker, and that I had it on video. Uh, I can't remember who Hulk fought against, but it was all down the line. He was just like a mid carder, and and obviously they give him the reins mm. of this. He had Lennox Lewis bring him out and everything. I never forget that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I just I just find it now so irresponsible. The pressure must have been unbearable for the poor guy because he literally just shit his pants before the event. Sadly, I know it's a horrible uh, thing to say, but it, it shows in his performance. No, Sorry, Scott. No, you're right. I think that's the thing, though, isn't it? It's fear. I mean, you say about that Brett is guiding this match. He's guiding it with a fucking rod of iron. <laughs> yeah. Like, there are several... There are a couple of... Uh, I mean, to be fair, there's some good chain wrestling going on because these guys can wrestle. Like, There's a couple of moments where the chain wrestling's really good. And it's almost like uh, reflex, isn't it? Like, even from Davy Boy. Like, it's almost like something clicks in. He's back in the dungeon. He's wrestling with Brett. 
and they're rolling around and you'll go right arm bar roll do this do that and it's back and forth and it works really well and then all of a sudden like he gives like, at one point look, he gives the shoulder block you know they come off the ropes and he shoulder barges gives the full big shoulder block to, to brett and then pushes him as he as he comes out like he carries on like he he, he follows through on the move and I assume that Brett's supposed to go out the ring, but the momentum with which he hits him um, felt to me, I was like, oh, that felt tighter than it should have been. Um, and then Brett sort of comes back, and there's a moment where they've whipped, um, is it uh, Bulldog whips Brett into the corner, and he's running in, and Brett comes up with a big boot. Like he's, He gets his boot oh, on, yeah. and he kicks, Brett, he kicks Bulldog in the face. And I'm like, shit, he must have broke his jaw. Yeah. Like He proper leathers yeah. him, and but, uh, Bulldog goes down. And I was just like, right, that's that's him teaching him a lesson. That's him a bit like, you know, get your shit in order in, inside this ring. Scott, um, you're right. That was, like you said, a potato. A potato's where they, they, they hit someone stiff like a real punch, don't they? Um, yeah, 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 they're I'm, I'm glad it, yeah. you said that. And I, I apologise, actually, anyone listening who's been going mad. It wasn't the ultimate warrior with Macho Man. It was, when I said about gorilla pressing, it was Davy Boy twice gorilla pressed Brett and the second time's when he fell back into the ropes because he was out yeah. of it and Brett ends up getting tangled and holding his bollocks and he looks like he's genuinely hurt. He doesn't look like he's... Um, no, I think yeah, he I don't think he did. I think, think he did. He and, and then Davy Boy starts just fucking throwing him in and out of the ring, and you're like, "You bastard!" You know what I mean? But he did. Yeah. He, he genuinely missed that spot because he tripped up on himself. I think there's a couple of others because there's a couple of others where they're doing like the chain wrestling. Um, uh, there's a moment where they're doing the sort of um, rolling, like back and forth for some of the pins, and it it, you, it almost feels at one point like Brett is pushing. Davy Boy a little bit too much, um, and so there's a, there's a few yeah so a few moments of that where you do think like uh, I I knew he was at, you know I'd, I'd heard the story but I, like you say watching it back it nerves there was definite nerves on his face as he walks down to the ring as well, um, but yeah from the moment that Brett kicks him in the face I was a bit like that must have woken him up like that must have done um, yeah uh, you know what though Scott I tell you what. There was a move Brett did I have never seen anybody do before or since. And I thought it was outstanding where Davy Boy was on the ropes and he did this sort of move where he, he sort of come over the top rope and I can't describe what he did, but I've never seen a move. I remember Vincent Mann going, oh my God, what a move. I've never seen it. And I have genuinely, I don't know if you, you sort of, I can't, what the, I can't even describe what the move was. It was almost like a, a stone cold stunner. Into so he, he, I just can't describe what he did, but I thought it was into amazing. The, is it the one he does it? Is it one he to, and he does it into the, like a roll up sort of? No, um, he ends up on the outside. He ends up um, on the. I can't. Remember. He was about ten minutes into the match, and I made a note of it, but I should have. Yeah. I should have watched it again. But honestly, Scott, I, I, I'd have to go and watch it again. But I just thought he was. I was in awe, thinking, "Wow, that is fucking brilliant." It was a great move. Oh, and this match, you know. Um, it's, it's funny because there's almost like um I'm not saying a rewriting of history but there's a there's a view held by some that Bret Hart is actually you know although very talented is actually a very boring wrestler um but I, I think watching a match like this you can see like how meticulous and how talented the guy is like I don't think he's boring at all I just think to watch him is to watch a real technician like I, I kind of miss, you know, when you sort of like, you know, if you if you had 
those dream matches. Like, you know, if you could pick a person from one era and have them wrestle in their peak, wrestle with somebody else in their peak, that sort of thing. Um, for me, I've always, I always thought like, I would love to have seen like Bret Hart at his peak around this period wrestle Kurt Angle. You know, in that sort of early two thousands when he was at his peak. Because yeah. um, I think like they're just a, just those guys that were so good, so sort of like. Um, the ring technicians of the highest caliber and it shows in this match like that guy is, is never off like throughout this match like he's on the entire time and there are so many times i say that i just the technical wrestling ability on display is, is incredible uh and just the sort of the ring um awareness uh is yeah it's uh brett, brett well i say you could probably take david boy out of this match and brett would just sort of work it on his own it'd probably be fine yeah it's true and brett sort of plays a bit of a heel doesn't he at different points in the match because they're all mm. booing because david boy's getting a kick in i agree completely i honestly think and, and genuinely scott i know we've still got the wwe network both of us at the moment if you get chance please watch unless you've already watched it the the, the broken skull sessions were between the hitman it's it's on my please list. watch yeah, it I've it's watch fantastic it. Yeah. the way they break down Talk about the careers and that, because the hitman still goes hard in the paint on Goldberg because he gave him the concussion that made him retire and stuff. Mm. Um, and he says he was a dangerous worker, but he talks very candidly about people like uh, Vader being like terrible. He, he avoided a run with Vader because he was always going to get injured when he fought that guy because he just didn't have a... And he says about, like, I always made sure I never injured the people I was wrestling with. But they actually break down WrestleMania 13, match him in Stone Cold, and honestly... Just as scientifically the way they talk, I, I honestly, my respect. I know Brett. They always say about him, and he's always whinging and moaning. And I still, I still say to this day, the Montreal screw job. He was in on it. I don't care what anybody says. I, I genuinely believe that he knew that was going down. Um, however, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with everything that happened afterwards and all that stuff. I know that wasn't right, but I still think he knew there was a work coming because he was being as awkward to them as they were to him. Um, However, just to watch that as a spectacle and as a person and as a wrestler, and the way he says, like, I always give my opponent that one where he runs headfirst into the ropes, which he did with Davy Boy, and he runs into the top mm. turnbuckle. I said, and that's a bit of respect, as if to say, you can have your spot now and give me a kick in. He said, but I always made sure that nobody was ever injured. And Stone Cold laughs and goes, I can't say the same. I'm sure these people out there said I was a bit too... Uh, stiff because they always say Jericho's really yeah. stiff. Jericho's one of the worst of being stiff, apparently. I really, I can imagine that. I don't know. He seems like a yeah. Um, but I can imagine Bret Hart being sort of you know, fl- well you can see it in this flicking between keeping it light and then sort of laying in that sort of like stiff one it needs to be because some of it holds. Again, like in this when he's you know they're, when they're sort of um, that's the bit like there's a bit where he sort of um, I really like and you know it, it sort of shows. Again, the, the talent of Bulldog as well, because let's you know he might have been off his face a bit, but he, there was moments in this where he does shine, and he has got him um, like he's got him in that he's got him as a grip. They've had like this armbar sort of exchange going on, and he sort of he gorilla presses him, and then he does something else, and um, Brett sort of like flips or no he rolls to get out of it, and, and uh, Bulldog doesn't let go, and he sort of maintains that armbar and stuff, and that whole exchange. Because um, he does the sort of um, all the other roles and stuff is is again is is really good and it shows that, like you know Bulldog's got the talent um, and I think like you say if he'd have had more confidence this could have been because this this one match of the year mm. um, I think it was wrestling sports on oh, no, Sports Illustrated so some people sort of consider this like match of the year and it's good it's got real moments that I think between both of them you know 
Um, and it's one of those that you do think, like, well, if, if Bulldog was a little bit more switched on, this could have been even better. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good finish. I, I, I was I was pumped throughout all of this. I really enjoyed it. In fact, I, w- I probably would sit back and watch this match again as a sort of a, a display of technical ability uh, and some of those. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to go back and see the, the move. I can't remember that Brett did uh, that you've described. Oh, yeah, I'll um, have to find it, Scott. I apologise. I should have... Uh, been researching, oh, yeah, but genuinely, it's I've never seen a move like you might have seen it. I don't think I've ever seen that move before. I just thought it was amazing. Yeah, it's a great match. It's a great finish. The, the finish is fine. It's a clean finish, you know, and it, which is exactly what it should be. Um, and then you know, you, you, it's a really good end to the pay per view for a pay per view that's been a little bit disappointing. If I'm perfectly honest. Um, it has a really nice, clean finish, and I think that last match is is it you know sort of saves it to some extent. Yeah, you know the one thing I would say, Scott. I, you know, obviously, David Boy was always going to win that, and originally, mm. apparently, when they decided they were going to do it at Wembley, the original idea was for the Hitman to lose to Shawn Michaels. But when they went to the UK, that's why they put the strap on David Boy because by the October, Shawn Michaels had beaten David Boy on a normal mm. Saturday night's main event type thing. Uh, like it's just a normal house show, really. It was televised, but it wasn't a SummerSlam, and he, he dropped the belt to him. So I can understand it. It's great PR. I remember David Boy was on everything at the time. He was on all the TV, so it's yeah. probably why he ended up sort of shitting the bed with going overboard with the coke and everything. Probably just like he's probably absolutely mentally exhausted and physically, probably not sleeping and stuff. Um, but I would have liked him to have done the running power slam or to reverse the sharpshooter or something. The fact that it was a, a whether it was because David Boy was fucked and didn't have a clue what to do or he didn't have the strength, I don't know. But the fact that it was just a layup and it was a you know one two three because that, that was like a the way he won it was almost like what a heel would do when a heel like sort of like a Ric Flair he'd get the roll up but grab the ropes or the manager would be grabbing his hand as he steals mm-hmm. the title or something. It was just. I just didn't like the way he lost the match. I agree he had to lose it. Everyone gets to go home happy and everyone's happy and all that stuff. Great. But I would have liked some sort of exclamation point on the finish. No, I know what you mean. I, I, I can see exactly what you're saying. Sort of like a big, you know, getting a clean finish with a sort of, with a proper finisher um, does give it that sort of, you know, it shows that he's gone over on his own uh, own merit rather than some, Sneaky move, that's almost what it is, I suppose, isn't it? Like a roll up. Um, so yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, but yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's uh, what it's riding that wave as well that the crowd's got as well, isn't it? So they, I mean, to be fair, he could have just he could have just done a, he could have done a complete flow. He could have pulled out a pair of um, knuckle dusters, a set of knuckle dusters from his bloody trunks, and, and battered bold, uh, battered Bret yeah. Hart, and the crowd would have still gone mental for it. They still loved it. So. Ric Flair job, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, honestly, yeah. I, I, I think I agree, though, Scott. I think watching that match is one of the best matches I've seen in a long time. I forgot how good it was. It's a cracking match. It's twenty-five minutes long, and it's worth every mm. single minute. I think Brett does such a good job carrying him and stuff. It's so good. He does. He really does. So that's so that's SummerSlam nineteen ninety-two. Uh, we've been back. We've had a look at it, and we've asked this, so you know. Of of the three events we've you know we've looked at now, what what sort of was your favourite? Just as a quick roundup, so we had WrestleMania fourteen, we did uh, Raw Rumble ninety two, and we did um, 
SummerSlam 92? I think individual matches, Hitman v Bulldog, yeah. brilliant. And also Stone Cold v Shawn Michaels, absolutely loved loved it. Loved that match so much because it meant, it was like a realism side to wrestling came back for me. I, I still believed in that angle and why I believe Stone Cold could beat Mike Tyson up, I still don't know. And I was 19, it wasn't like I was 12 when this was on. I was absolutely 19 and just got engaged and stuff, so what an idiot. But anyway, um, as an overall product, I love the Royal Rumbles. The Royal Rumbles are just, I love what I love more than anything, Scott, is when a surprise entrant comes in. Who know, but I mean, I remember when Devon Dudley come in a couple of years ago from nowhere. He was in TNA as um, oh, Bubba, what's he called? He was like a bad guy, what he in TNA, like against Hogan all the time and stuff. Um, and he he came in from nowhere as as um, Devon Dudley, and the crowd go crazy, you know. And he was only in it for a couple, about five or ten minutes, but I love the Royal mm. Rumbles. The Royal Rumbles are just something I love. I love that sort of oh my god, he's just come back in that. As an overall event, this was good, but I think unfortunately because they had to move stuff around like a jigsaw, too many of the mid card and, and real shit matches. I mean, Undertaker should never have been before Davy Boy, uh, Crush, no. Repo Man. They should have all been at the top. You should, and as they said, they should have. What I think they should have had was Legion of Doom v Money Inc. as a number one contender to face the winner of the Natural Disasters in the Beverly. And you could have had them two matches back-to-back with Shawn Michaels just before Legion of Doom. And then you would have got mm. into Ultimate Warrior and then the British Bulldog. And that's, I think, if I was booking it. But unfortunately, because of what happened with uh, Hawk being absolutely caned, they had to move everything around. So I don't blame anybody. I just think it, it cheapened it. And I agree with you, Scott. It wasn't as good as what I remembered it. I just remember it being like absolutely setting a standard and putting a, a thing on the map and it, it simply wasn't really. No, I agree. I think, you know, looking back at the three events, um, as you say, sort of the Stone Cold, Shawn Michaels um, was, uh, it's good fun. I, I do enjoy it. I think it's, it's got, a, you know, it's got a good finish. It's got, it's, uh, it, you know, it's got a good angle and the rest of Mania wasn't too bad. But between the two ninety-two events, I definitely think Royal Rumble is 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 better. It's head and shoulders above SummerSlam. Looking back at it, um, you know the whole lead-up of Flair sort of surviving the whole Rumble, um, all the entrance sort of again the performance of Bulldog and Michaels in that. Um, it's uh, yeah, even the sort of like the undercard of that is 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 pretty solid. Like the Roddy Piper match. Um, despite some holds and stuff, was actually really good fun. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think I think Raw Rumble '92 is is. Do you know what? It's even an event I would consider at some point to like going back to. Yes. As a, as an example of how good this era was, I would go back to that event and watch it again. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. I think the more you say it, the more I agree with that, Scott. I, I didn't really care much about the undercard, but as a spectacle, just knowing what Flair did, and it was one of the first ones to do it. Absolutely loved it. Mm. I agree. Totally agree. Excellent. Well, Chris, I'm going to say thank you so much for doing this, doing our sort of a trilogy of wrestling. Um, it seems to have ignited something in you, which I'm, I'm, I'm always glad to be fanning the flames of fandom. Um, and uh, so you, you, you are going to do two things, and I'm holding you to two, at least one <laughs> of them. Um, you're injured at the moment. You're out. You know. You're on the sort of um, out of the sidelines. But when you get better, we are going to make sure that you step into between now and summer 2021. Um, you are going to step between the ropes of a wrestling ring. Yes. Um, 
and uh, you know you are going to have your in-ring debut, um, and uh, yeah, so we're going to do that. But the other thing is, you are you are now going to be doing your own uh, as part of I don't know what, the, what is it you call it the Comics Emotion Network. I'm not sure what you guys are calling it, but you are doing your own wrestling podcast. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Yeah, honestly, Scott. Next year, mate, I'm going to need all the help I'm going to get because I've got at least another <laughs> two or three months of rehab before I can even... I've been lifting weights on my left side and I'm still training, but I can't do anything. I, you know I'm a big DDP uh, yoga advocate mm-hmm. doing daily. I can't even do that. and It's absolutely killing me. I'm like stiff as a board at the moment. But the comeback's always better than the setback, as they say. But no, thank you. And you're going to have That's to it. carry me, my friend, because you might have to give me a few potatoes to get me acting gear. But I promise I won't be coming <laughs> in laced like Hawk or um, Davy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what, what's happened is with you doing this, I did a radio show at 18 months ago. Um, we did the Comics in Motion podcast on there. We used to basically just split the podcast up, bit of editing, threw a load of songs in, and we had like an hour and a half, two hour show, depending on what we were reviewing. And then I had this thing called Indie Combat, where I'm a massive UFC fan, as you know, love the wrestling, boxing. So I just did basically an hour show, latest news with segments on the UFC, the boxing, and I always finish with a retro rerun of the wrestling, which is when you said do this, I was like, oh, this is, sounds like what, this is far more in-depth, and I've loved it uh, time-wise as well, but it's perfect. So what I'm going to do, Scott, because we've done this, I love this so much, and it will be coming under the Comics in Motion Network, um, is I've created a podcast called, and it's literally just been created today, so I've not even got an episode out yet. I'm going to put some promos out. I've got a Twitter handle, which is at wrestling gold four at the moment but i just want wrestling gold so i'm going to change that but at the moment it's at wrestling gold four and the podcast is just basically called wrestling gold podcast so it's the same pretty much going to be the same format what we've done today scott and and i really want you on as well as as many times as you want to come on mate because i really appreciate all the support you've given us uh coming on doing this having a great laugh talking about something we both passionate i mean i'm 41 years old i shouldn't be this passionate about wrestling still <laughs> i hate the current products with a fucking passion i can literally watch one or two matches and then i turn it off i just hate watching the promos they're so fucking cringe i only watch it now if then the old school come back like stone cold or anything um mm. however the old stuff is gold so i thought easy name i can't see there's any other podcasts out there as far as i know uh so wrestling gold podcast it is so if you want to give me a follow uh, on your podcast catching app it'll pop up on itunes and that in the next couple of days and hopefully we're going to get a few episodes under my belt in the next week or so so thank you mate because you have ignited a massive fire that's been dormant for a long time that's good i'm, I'm glad and I'm, I'm i would happily you know happily be there you tell me where and when and we will do another event and so listeners you know if that's what i'm saying get over there you check out the podcast check out the whole comics in motion network they've got a whole bunch of stuff going on if you like this podcast you will love what they're doing over there comics in motion uh you've got with it um essential um marvel and dc um uh, tony forever's doing uh indie comics there's a whole bunch of stuff going on over there it's absolutely fantastic so go check all of those podcasts out but i will be there with bells on me thank be you there mate and our other podcast is the vhs strikes back where we actually review and dave fucking hated it no holds barred hulk hogan is rip against yeah. <laughs> tony tiny lister who's zeus oh fucking loved it dave hated it what well, i'm gonna say that one of the things i love about that podcast is it seems to have become like a sparring match between you uh, and Dave now. <laughs> and uh, just before, 
just before today, uh, I listened to a wonderful uh, uh, episode of uh, the VHS Choice Back because Chris, you uh, yeah, you got to watch uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it now. I'm not going to spoil it now. But your reaction, your reaction to that film was priceless. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, don't you worry, my friend. Wait till you see what we've got next week. Because the reason it's gone down this route is when we did Comics in Motion, Dave is the comic book nerd. He's loved comics all his life. I picked them up now and again as a kid. And I was mainly a Beano and Dandy guy from like the UK. I, was ne- I could never afford the Marvel stuff and DC, even though I love superhero movies and everything. So the idea was I'm the superhero uh, movie fan, TV show fan. Dave is the comic book nerd. And, and he always pretty much 90 percent of the 120 episodes we've done he has picked it's very rare that i get the chance and i was happy with that because that's the whole idea dave's trying to sell me on different things and, and he put some right shit in front of me so when we did the vhs i said to him i am having we're having 50 percent. well we've gone down a 30 30 split at the moment we've basically a listener picks, Dave picks, I picks, and it's my pick this week, Scott. And I'm, Dave doesn't know this because this probably won't come out until after we've done it. No. I've not even watched this week's. I've just basically gone on the worst films of the 90s, and we're actually doing a <laughs> film, I don't know if you've ever seen it, called Cool as Ice. It was Vanilla Ice's acting debut, and it got, it's like at like <laughs> 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. It looks. <laughs> and Dave thinks I've watched it, and he's like, you fucking prick, I've got to sit here with his new uh, squeeze and I've got to watch this with her. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're going to have to watch it. I've never even seen it. I've just picked it because it's this trailer is shit. So <laughs> I cannot wait to see that. Out of here to listen to that, that'd be fantastic. See, that's what I love about it. It's just, you know, doing podcasts just we get the in-jokes. This is what it's all about. Just sort of like getting in on your own stuff and people enjoying it. Wonderful. Right, Chris, thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate this. And uh, I'm sure I'll have you back on the show at some point in the future for some. Thank you, else. man. Thank you, everyone listening. And I apologise if I've cut you off again, Scott. I'm a right dick when it comes to wrestling. I absolutely <laughs> just go crazy. I got properly um, emotional. So thank you. Thanks to everybody who's, who's uh, listened to me now three times. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another great 20th Century Geek episode. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in contact to suggest topics for future shows or just chat about everything nerdy, you can email me at 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. That's 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. Or find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just search for 20th Century Geek. If you would like to support the show, please go on your podcast catcher and leave a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. It raises the show in the ranks and lets more people know about the podcast. If you want to show more support for the podcast, we do have an Amazon wish list. Just go on Amazon and search for 20th Century Geek and you will find a list of books that will help with research for future podcasts. And don't forget... We love second-hand books in 20th Century Towers. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 